good evening. And welcome to another edition. <laughs> A Halloween weekend edition of Coast to Coast AM live talk radio on the CBC radio network throughout the night time for those living and not. I'm Art Bell, and it's good to be with you. This is the annual Coast to Coast AM Halloween show. And this morning, this evening, whatever the case may be, across all these time zones, we are going to talk about nothing but ghosts. A rather unlikely topic, save perhaps this weekend, uh, this particular upcoming day, All Hallows Eve. It's uh, very dark out there. There is no discernible moon, save the dimly... Illuminating uh, stars, there is no light out there at all, and on this kind of night, of course, anything can happen. Now, when we do a ghost show, uh, there are a couple of things I, I want to say before we get started. One, I treat the subject uh, seriously, uh, despite the opening laugh for you. I treat this subject seriously, ladies and gentlemen, for a lot of reasons. I've heard too many stories. I've done... Too many programs of this nature not to treat it seriously. As you may know, uh, over the last year, I have been fortunate in receiving from a number of people photographs of what purport to be, and certainly seem to be, apparitions, ghosts. Something, surely it is something, and I cannot tell you for sure that I know that there are ghosts nor that I even understand for certain there is an afterlife. I don't. I don't know. I'm continually searching, and I want to know, and I suspect uh, that uh, mimics uh, many uh, of you out there. You want to know, and you're searching. And these stories, and this morning, may help you uh, to, uh, in, in your struggle with trying to understand whether there is really something to all this or not. So we take serious ghost stories... Um, we don't joke. These are uh, hopefully uh, true stories. And I guess that's what makes it all uh, the more frightening, the fact that uh, they are at least given to us as, as real ghost stories. So anyway, welcome to the weekend. Welcome to the Halloween program. And we'll get started shortly. A couple of um, uh, beginners for you. Just uh... Oh, I've got a note for you. CBS Television... This Sunday evening, no doubt when we're on the air with uh, Dreamland, we'll be airing a special without warning program. It's kind of an H.G. Wells sort of thing uh, with regard to the possibility of an asteroid hitting the Earth. I think it may be called without warning. It actually is in TV Guide, so I'm not giving away any secrets here. But you may want to run your VCR on that uh, Sunday evening. And I believe it is called Without Warning, and it's going to be a realistic presentation uh, with regard to the possibility of an asteroid hitting Earth or, uh, you know, being detected uh, to shortly hit Earth. That'll be Sunday night, and I'm going to be rolling a uh, tape on it, and I would suggest you do the same thing. Either that or roll the tape on us and uh, watch that one way or the other. A couple of stories that I thought uh, worthy of presentation to simple little stories, really. Mr. Bell, my dad and I have been doing a paper route for three years. 
We've been listening to your show for two now, and I feel this story might be good for your Halloween show. For a year and a half, we've been delivering newspapers to this house that has a large German shepherd that is kept on the enclosed porch where I put the paper. The dog had always been friendly, always waiting for a pat on the head. Well, about a month ago, I didn't see the dog for a while, didn't think very much about it, Till he was on the uh, the porch, there he was, one morning, about two weeks after the last time I'd seen him, he was laying down. When I entered, he raised his head, and I gave him several pats, and I left. I didn't see him again after that. About a week later, we were collecting for the paper at that house. So I asked the owner where his dog was. He said the dog was very old, suffering from spinal problems. So he'd had to have him put to sleep, had done it three and a half weeks ago. This instantly sent shivers up my spine, and now I get into and out of that porch as fast as I can. That's from Josh in Spokane, Washington. This comes from Internet. Several years ago, I experienced a disturbing sight. I'm going to relate it as best I can. This gets all the dog stories out of the way. My wife, now ex, was lying uh, in bed next to me. Light from the Circle K store next door was illuminating the room. I was laying there thinking about how good she looked in the yellow light when something black rose up out of her body. My first thought was, I thought I was awake. The blackness moved over me and formed itself into a black dog with glowing yellow eyes and dripping red, yes, the blood glowed fangs. I screamed and held my arms over my head. My ex turned over and tried to comfort me. The neighbors pounded on the wall. The black dog took its time to dissipate. It seemed amused by my struggles while Brenda attempted to comfort me. The black dog has never reappeared, but I'll never forget it. Several sad events happened since that night. The most notable was the discovery that Brenda was cheating on me with an old high school flame. That's from Dark Man in Seattle. Art, this story is not much, but it happened, and I thought it was a little weird. When my wife and I were first married... In about a year or two, we purchased a brand new home in Northridge, California. One night around 10 o'clock, my wife and I went to bed. I left the bathroom light on. Now my wife had on a violet color night clothing. She was sleeping on my left side. I was not dreaming. I was still awake, just thinking about things. Looked over at the bathroom door. It was open. I saw what I thought was my wife standing in the doorway of the bathroom, and I said, What are you doing up? My wife said, Huh? The image at the bathroom door immediately vanished. My wife was still on the bed next to me. Weird. Wasn't a dream. The image I saw was so vivid and real, I actually thought it was my wife. As soon as my wife answered my question from her position on the bed, and the being in the doorway immediately disappeared, I told her what had happened. Now, any way you cut it, this was a strange event. I only conclude that there may have been something in the past that happened at that location before the housing tract was built there. The entire valley used to be nothing but horse ranches. Enjoy it. It's true.
And then this. Art, I was an Eastern Orthodox priest for many years. And in that time, I've witnessed many interesting, if not frightening, things. This is one that I'd like to tell you about. In 1974, a close friend of mine lost her father. He'd been very popular during the 40s as a singer and guitar player on the radio. He and his wife had been divorced for many years at the time of his death. He lived alone and died of a heart attack while sleeping in his bed. It was three days before his body was discovered. About a week after the funeral, his ex-wife moved back into the house that he'd lived and died in. Two months after his death, I received a phone call from my friend asking if I could come over to her mother's house. Apparently her mother was beginning to act a little strange. and She was concerned. When I got there, the three of us sat down, and my friend's mother related this story to me. She said she was convinced she was going crazy. She said about two weeks earlier, she woke up in the middle of the night to the singing of her dead ex-husband. She walked into the front room, and he was sitting in the rocking chair smiling at her. She went back into the bedroom and spent the rest of the night with no sleep. She then told me after that she'd be sitting in the front room and for no reason it would feel like someone was grabbing or pinching her legs, after which welts would appear on her legs. Also, she'd continue to hear her dead husband singing every night. I told her I didn't think she was going crazy, having had some working knowledge of the rite of exorcism. I asked her if she'd feel better if I went through the house and blessed it. She said it certainly would make her feel better. I took out a small bottle of holy water and proceeded to go through the house room by room, beginning with the basement. Everything went fine. I saved the bedroom for last. Upon entering the bedroom, there was a noticeable temperature difference. It was very cold, and you could see your breath. The mother stood in the doorway, and as I threw the holy water around the room, the mother was thrown backwards out of the doorway into the hallway. When I asked her what was wrong, she said something had hit her in the legs, like something was trying to push her out of the way. I was a little skeptical until she pulled her pants legs up, and there they were, large red welts on both legs just above the knee. I'm not trying to make any claims as to what was going on in that house, but I can say that after I blessed the house, there was no further problem with visions or physical manifestations. A bit of a primer for you, and a couple of stories sent in. I have many, many more that have arrived by fax. If you have one and you'd like to fax it in, you're welcome to do so. My fax number is area code 702-727-8499. Now, this morning, that's all we're going to be doing is ghost stories. You're welcome to make a uh, contribution. You're welcome to light a candle if you wish. And just sit there and uh, and get scared. And believe me, um, uh, before this night is through, uh, we will succeed in doing that. Probably will succeed in scaring myself. I've got my candle ready. Just a brief warning. If these sorts of stories, and some of them are going to be realistic, and some of them are going to be frightening, if they scare you, by all means, tune out. 
I'm sure there's lots of shows this morning dispensing the usual. And uh, many of you, I understand, would be far more comforted uh, uh, with the usual. So you'll want to tune out about now. Because coming up shortly, the unexpected, possibly the frightening. And I don't really want to scare anybody who's not ready for it. I simply tell you, you will hear stories uh, that I think will convince you, if you continue to listen, that there is a life that comes after. And occasionally, things seem to interrupt the normal flow of the soul after death. Whether it's unrequited love, whether it's a murder, whether it's an unexpected, untimely death, occasionally things seem to interrupt the flow of what ought to come after this life. And those are the stories you will hear this morning. Or in just a very few moments. All right. Here are the telephone numbers. And remember this morning... This evening, this morning, slash, um, nothing but ghost stories. If you have one for us, by all means, pick up the telephone. If you're a first-time caller to the program, the number is uh, area code 702. 702-727-1222. 702-727-1222. The wild card direct lines, area code 702-727-1295, 702-727-1295. And then finally, if you're east of the Great Rocky Mountains, the number is 1-800-618-8255, one 800 618-8255. And now, ladies and gentlemen, to the phones. On the wild card line, you are on the air. Good uh, good evening. Good evening, Art. Hello. How are you? I'm just fine. Do you have a ghost story? Yes, I do. My name is Arisha. I'm calling from Santa Maria. Santa Maria, what is your story? Well, when we purchased our house, we could not move in initially because one lady died. Her name was Nellie. And for about three, four, we've been in this house over 20 years now, mind you. And she lived here with us. <laughs> and my husband... Well, now, never... what do you mean? She lived with you as a ghost? Yes, yes. Did and now how did you know she was there? Did you see her, hear her, feel her? How did you know? I felt her. You felt her. And uh the room that she died in, which I am sitting in right now, was very, very cold always. Except that one day my husband went down the hall and he he's not a believer and she touched him. And he came back to me and he says, somebody touched me. And I said, it was Nellie. Don't get excited. And we used to get her mail at this house for about three years. And every time that the, her, the mail came for her, we would lay it on the table and I would say, Nellie, 
here's your mail. And I, it was for about five years she was in this house. And then she left. I just don't know how to explain it to anyone. Well, uh, you don't have to, ma'am. Thank you very much for the call. She left. In other words, you stopped sensing the presence. No, I understand that. You see, that, that really is typical. And uh, usually the areas haunted, if you want to call it haunting, and it really doesn't matter, does it? The areas uh, that are affected by the presence of what seems to be left of that human spirit are frequently the areas that um, uh, that uh, that person was uh, killed in, died in. It's really hard to understand. Another aspect of it that I've never understood, one mentioned in a couple of the stories I read you and the one she just told you, is the cooling of a room. I mean, a, a, just a downright chill, even to the degree that you can see your breath. It's not unusual to hear that. I don't understand exactly why it would be, but it does seem to trail with these stories. On the wild card line, you are on the air. Good evening. Good evening, artist Andrea in Vista, California. Welcome to the program. Okay. Um, what happened was I was um, sleeping in this uh, mobile home in a twin bed, and about 3 o'clock in the morning... I uh, suddenly awakened, but my eyes were still closed, and I sensed kind of an energy down at my feet. Down at your feet? Yeah, down at my feet. It was um, it was really bizarre. I, I didn't move. My eyes were still closed. It was a kind of a positive feeling. I wasn't afraid of it, and it started. It, I felt this energy kind of moving, kind of up on the side of the bed. Yes. Up towards my head. Well, when it got uh, right up to my, just about to where my arms were, I decided, well, I guess, oh, I, the first thing, wait, 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 I thought for a minute, I thought it was, a, this, whatever it was, was warm and good. And I, the first thing I said was, Mom, is that you? And then uh, I didn't get a response, so then I opened my eyes, and there's this figure standing there, just looking at me, it was pink and blue. Pink and blue. Pink, pinkish. Uh, just a pinkish uh, illumination and blue. All right, so it was not a solid form. And not quite. Well, it was shaped like a human and as tall as a human, but it wasn't quite solid. And I said, I said the darndest thing. I said, "Can I help you?" <laughs> <laughs> People say the darndest thing. Well, I wasn't like afraid of it. I was. And I was looking at it wondering, what is this? Can I help you? Okay. Can I help you? And then it vanished. And it, it vanished. slowly dissipated. Maybe it was shocked. <laughs> I mean, maybe what you said at that moment uh, just absolutely astounded it, even in spirit form, and it couldn't handle it. But was I maybe don't maybe know. maybe it had no, been ma maybe it. it had been wandering the uh, uh, the aisles of large discount stores now for months with nobody ever asking a question <laughs> like that. <laughs> but I, oh my God! I remember calling up my friend and he just didn't believe me and oh. Well, I believe you. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Take care. <laughs> May I help you? All right, well, it is but the very beginning. And you have connected with the Halloween weekend show. Um, 
the annual event on Coast to Coast AM. I'm Art Bell. Was that was that Coast to Coast or was that Ghost to Ghost AM? <laughs> Welcome, everybody. Uh, this is Halloween weekend, and uh, we're telling ghost stories. If you have one, join us. If you don't have one, sit back, light a candle, turn the lights down, and prepare yourself. We're going to do a little commercial continuity here and get it done so we can go roaring through without interruption. On the toll-free line, uh, you're on the air. Hello. Hello, Art. It's Anthony, Mr. Friday Night from St. Louis. Well, welcome to the program. I got a ghost story for you. It's not very scary, but it's worth telling. All right. Anyway, I never really knew my grandfather consciously, although Mom said I did love him. He died when I was two years old. That was 15 years ago, almost just about almost a month now. Right. And, um... There was a time period after he died, Mom told the story to me and a lot of other people where he, Mom was sitting there doing something like just a couple months after he died, and he came back in full form, fully recognizable, just like he was in real life, wow. just before he died. And he didn't say anything. He was just sitting there with a smile on his face and the impression Mom got from the um, apparition slash grandfather is that um, he was sending some kind of message that he was all right, so to speak. No, that makes sense. And it's, I'm sure, the one thing that any spirit, thank you, anything or anybody uh, who has left this earth would want to be able to tell or assure the people who are left. And that is that they're all right. That it is all right. That they're not gone forever. In fact, we're all not gone forever. Now, what I do find interesting is that the apparition appeared uh, in solid form. Uh, not too many of them do. And uh, the one, uh, by the way, actually a couple uh, that appear in our current newsletter are, excuse me, are about to appear in the current newsletter. You've got to get hold of our newsletter, incidentally. Let me plug it while I'm at it. It's got the ghost photograph in it. Uh, and I may read you the um, uh, the letter that is connected to that ghost photograph. It is very good. A lot of people have had comments on it. Uh, the one taken by the Stone Mason. Thank goodness we managed to get it into the newsletter, and I hounded them to be able to do that. And so uh, it is in there. If you'd like to order our newsletter called After Dark, the Art Bell newsletter, you can uh, you can do so by picking up the telephone uh, and calling right now. Or throughout the weekend, I might add, uh, 1-800-917-4278. Now, this is for people with Visa and MasterCharge and such. To get the newsletter, it's only twenty nine ninety five for a year. It's 1-800-917-4278. On the toll-free line, you're on the air. Good morning. So it's Art Bell? Yes, it is. Turn your radio off for us, please. Okay. Um, I have a story. Long time ago, uh, when I was in my teens, 
I had a dream uh, that uh, I was walking down a road, and I looked to the left, and there was sheep and cattle and, and horses grazing, and it was beautiful pasture. And uh, I kept walking on a little further, and there was like a real beautiful old Civil War-type-looking house, you know, that, that type of an older house. Sure. And there was a lady outside pouring uh, water into a bird bath, and she waved and smiled at me, and she's a very beautiful lady. And I waved and, and smiled and said hi back, and I kept walking down the road. And there was a white picket fence. And as I walked down the road, the trees kind of uh, uh, made an arch. And as I walked through the arch of trees, not a perfect arch, but just kind of an arch, I woke up, and I felt pure pleasure. I, it, it, I just felt great. And uh, I got up, I smoked a quarter of a cigarette, and got a drink of water, went back to bed. Right. And I'm walking down, I'm in this dream the same night. I'm dreaming, I'm walking down this road, I'm feeling very uncomfortable. And all of a sudden I notice, I look to the left, and there's that same sloping pasture, and the, I notice a, a sheep first in, in a long, tall, un, very unruly pasture. The sheep is laying there, you can see it's, uh, body deteriorated. You could see the cattle and the horse is dead. And um, as I walked to the what was a pretty picket fence, it was just unmaintained and, and paint peeling off it. And the house was in shambles. And I saw a man chasing a woman with a axe that looks like an axe on the back of a, of a dime. Yes. And hit her in the head. And then he she screams as he's as he's hitting her. I didn't see her hit her. I just saw her chasing her through a open window without a screen. And then she comes back, and you could see her just kind of walking almost zombie-like. And she had the same axe in her hand with blood coming out of her head. And this was the same woman I saw before, only she was a little more aged, like she'd be about 60 or so. Yes. And then you heard a guy scream, and you heard a thud, and I hurriedly walked down and started walking through these trees that were completely, at this time, they were uh, like barren, almost like fall, but it was because of death, not fall. Yes. And I woke up, my heart was beating the whole nine yards. Well, about six months later, my cousin and a friend of uh, ours, we were driving along. We were out by the St. Louis airport. This is when it was very much undeveloped. Mm -hmm. And I felt a strange feeling. And I said, hey, pull into this pull into this driveway. The whole thing was a shambles. We pulled in, got out of his Jeep, and started walking up towards this so-called remnants of a house where there was like half of a brick chimney down and the roof was like down on the ground. Yes. We all started getting bad vibes. And as we walked closer up to it, we noticed that the place in front of where that window was that I saw that axe thing committed, there was like a, uh, a like the thorn tree they used to crucify Jesus Christ, the, the thorns they put around his head. And you could almost feel, you could feel something surrounding us and we never said a word to each other we just looked at each other and we slowly started walking to the towards the jeep all of a sudden we found ourselves at a very fast pace towards the jeep next thing we knew we were in the jeep and it didn't want to fire up my cousin threw it in a neutral my buddy got out kind of pushed it we popped the clutch it fired up we left the place asap and thing of it was when we got up to the big boys and of course big boys hamburgers aren't anymore right we shut down the vehicle and fi it fired right back up and we never did return to the place but it wow. seems like that was a very strange situation it was and uh possibly f 
you know, uh, what what do you think your dream was then? Do you think that it was uh, sort of a a foretelling um, of what occurred there? We've analyzed it over the years. Uh, I'll speak for my cousin uh, and not Bob or myself, but my cousin is a very, 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 very high up in AT&T, and he's a very intelligent man, and we've sat and talked about this. And one proposal we came up with years ago that it had something to do with uh, the one thing we could come up with, you know, that it, the dream happened to me, but everything happened that way. The only thing we could come up with that we could all agree on that the maybe cause of it, it was what's going on in America economically today. Economically today? Yes, isn't that strange? It's something like that. But And I have one more thing real quick. Well, My our dad, current economic situation is a little like an axe in the head. Sir, we're very short on time, so if it's very quick. Okay, when my dad died, my mom started going into just... She just started deteriorating physically and, and weight and bags under the eyes and black black eyes. And I was down at a place that I was working, a buddy of mine owned, and we uh, I was standing there, and all of a sudden I felt his presence. And I said, Dad, don't take Mom. Just go. She'll be with you later. The family needs her too much. And it was only about a couple days after that she started improving. That was a very strange thing as well. Thank you very much for the call from, I believe, the St. Louis area. Well, uh, it does bring up, though, another topic. And that has to do with the feeling of a presence. Now, that much I can say I have had. There have been a few times during my life when I have felt distinctly a presence. And um, I don't recall that it particularly scared me, but I was absolutely aware of it, and I'm sure that it may have happened, well, I guess I shouldn't say I'm sure, but I would bet that it's happened to many of you. And you just, you can feel, human beings, uh, much like animals, I believe, have uh, an instinctual sense about them, uh, as you can sense somebody's actual physical presence in a room. I believe that uh, the sensitive among us can, uh, can feel uh, the presence of other things and beings nearby. Does that make sense? It always has to me. And uh, I don't think it's anything all that deep. I think it's just a purely instinctual thing that, that human beings have and have always had. Some are able to feel it now and uh, use it now. Many are not because of the noise of modern civilization. It tends to blot out uh, these more obscure but I believe real feelings. On the wild card line, you are on the air. Good morning. Hello, let me turn off my radio real quick. Thank you. Yes, uh, remember to do that, everybody. We have a delay system here. It's very confusing. Yes, have you ever heard of of about going into a mirror and, like, saying a word like any ghost or, like, Bloody Mary? Or Candyman? Well, not that, but I've done it before. Um, Well, I have heard, sir, that people have had very strange experiences with mirrors. Yes. What, is, what is yours? Well, I did it like around um, 12 o'clock. I, I think it was about when I was in seventh grade. And Sorry, I'm a little bit nervous, too. It's all right. So, um, you, 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 in seventh grade, you looked into a mirror and did what? Well, I turned off all the lights because that's what you're supposed to do, and I locked the door. Yes. It was late at night, so... It, so everything was quiet in the house because that's how it has to be. Right. And um, I went, 
and I went and I turned in a circle once and I stared at the mirror and said Bloody Mary. Then I closed my eyes, turned around in a circle again and said Bloody Mary. Then I went again and I did it. And I saw this, this like, face that was, had, like, blood on one half of the side and, <coughs> and, um, like, something hit me in the head. I think it was a toothbrush hit me in the head. Because I saw it laying on the ground and I didn't see it before. Odd. And I've had other friends who said that they've been, that, that they've had scratches from doing that. And I've had a friend in the seventh grade who I was a really good friend with named... No, don't don't give me the person's name. Well, not her full name. And she's related to Bloody Mary, the Queen of Scots, you know. All right, sir, thank you. I I have heard about this before. Maybe some of the rest of you uh, know something about it. But there is something about mirrors. And I believe there is something about, in effect, inviting something to appear. And it may not matter the words that you use, but... If you, in effect, put yourself in a uh, mood of being receptive to this sort of thing, and then you exercise some sort of ritual, in this case, the use of a mirror, you may, in fact, be inviting something in that you may be sorry you invited in. Just a word to the wise. On the wild card line, you're on the air. Good evening. Okay, I'm calling from Reno. Hi. This happened whenever I was about seven years old. Uh, my dad had already been married about a year. Um, his wife uh, started dabbling into the occult, but I didn't know what the occult was. So um, we were going to church, and, of course, my brother, he went up to the altar and committed himself to Jesus Christ. And I didn't because I didn't understand it. But once I decided to do this... Um, I, uh, I had said my prayers and I told the Lord that Sunday morning I'm going to commit myself to you. And, uh, you know, so, uh, that happened on a Friday. And so I was real excited about going to church because I was going to do this thing. I understand. And, um, I went to bed. And, uh, Later, later on that night, have no idea what time it was. My door was open. It, it was always open. My parents' door is closed because they don't want you know the snoring to wake us up. Yes. And I woke up, and there was a bull standing at the front of my door. It was a demon, and it was in a shape of a bull. And it was about four and a half feet tall. And uh, I looked at it, and I just said, God, I don't know what it is, and help me go to sleep. And if I don't move, then maybe it won't hurt me. Well, then I had this really strange dream, and it was very unrelated to what was in front of me. So I dreamt this certain dream, and when I woke up, that bull was still standing there. It had horns and everything. And I thought, no, uh, it's not going away. I was thinking this, and all of a sudden it disappeared, and it had attacked me. I was struggling in bed. I was trying to scream, and the, first, the worst thing you can do 
is you're screaming and nothing comes out of you. I couldn't breathe. I felt like I was being smothered. I understand that feeling. You uh, you are screaming internally, but nothing will come out. And I was and I was thinking, what am I to do? What am I to do? I, I I'm going to die. It's going to kill me. And sure enough, I said, okay, God, you're going to have to take it away because I can't I can't do anything. I'm going to die, and I don't want to die. And so it let go. It dissipated. It never showed up again. I, when that thing let go and it ran out of the room and it left, I just screamed, totally bloody murder. And my dad comes running in there seeing what's going on. And I was telling them, there was a monster in here. A monster. And it was trying to kill me. And he, nobody really believed it, but it really actually happened. Maybe ahead of your commitment on Sunday, it was one last uh, a well, shot, think... uh, so to speak, of the dark force trying to get hold of you. I, I believe that. And one other thing about my mom um, and the power of God, what I had to deal with was that um, very quickly she had a four-foot mod poster. This was back in the 70, 71, 72. Mod came back. Okay, very quickly. And um, it was a picture of the devil, and I wouldn't go into her room. So I asked God to take away that poster and it, within three weeks, it had torn itself apart. Thank you for the call. You know, um, if there is good in this world, if there is God, if there is a presence, a creator presence, then it would certainly make sense that there would be an opposite force. As uh, there it can be documented uh, for just about everything else in our life, that we do, that we experience, there are um, two sides. There's good and evil. There's good and evil, uh, for example, in atomic energy. There's good and evil in just about every force that we do control on Earth. So, with the assumption of a creator, a god, a good, I think it's not too much of a leap to understand there is an opposite force the one we talk of this morning. On the wild card line, you're on the air. Yeah, you're, you're true about that. Because uh, they balance, balance uh, each other out. I believe so, sir. But you can't have too much of uh, either. So I'd like to talk about uh, what happened to me when I was uh, 15. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, we were staying at a, at a friend's house. Uh, me and my mom were staying at a friend's house yes. you know, for a little while. Right. So we find a you know, new place to live. Yes, where are you, by the way? I'm in Long Beach. Long Beach, all right. Okay, and uh, see, certain times of the year, uh, this is certain part of the neighborhood in Broadway and Long Beach and everything. Yes. It's like a vortex. A vortex. Yeah, it's like a vortex. You know, certain things uh, come through. You know, it's like it's like uh, basically it's like uh, a main uh, doorway. You know, a main hallway. You find uh, different things. Like one time. Uh, my mother, you know, like, uh, seeing like a, a little man crawling on her arm. And she woke up. On her arm? Yeah, on her arm. Uh-huh. He's all silver. And he left, like, deep footprints. She woke us up to see these little footprints on her arm. Really? And I, and I looked down and said, yeah, they're footprints, my, yeah. You figure she's joking. Went back to sleep. And I asked her, they probably weighed around, uh, you know, 40 pounds, leave such deep footprints. Yeah, on her arm. It actually left footprints on her arm. Yeah, left footprints on her arm. Wow. 
All right, uh, uh, thank you very much for the call. Now, what was that? Hmm? What would do that? Well, there are those who would suggest this woman was dreaming. She was asleep, and she had such a vivid dream that the power of her mind actually caused those uh, uh, that physical evidence that he just talked about. Footprints actually on her arm. But sometimes it's a little difficult to separate um, the uh, uh, the real occurrence from the one in our mind. Maybe there is not a difference. Maybe that which does occur in our mind uh, is, in fact, real. Does that occur to you? The distinction between that which we dream and that which we experience while awake, it's really, uh, when you examine it, a very, very small distinction. This is the Halloween weekend show from Ghost to Ghost AM. Good morning. Welcome to Ghost to Ghost AM. It is the annual Halloween show, and we are telling ghost stories. It is Halloween weekend. Indeed, it is the weekend, so settle in, light a candle, dim the lights, if you dare. Art, this story is supposed to be a true one. Dick and Clyde had been friends since August of 1918, nearly 15 years. During their friendship, they had done some pretty remarkable things. However, none can compare with the prank they pulled on their girlfriends, Betty Lou and Mildred, on October 31st, 1933. October 24th, 1933, Betty Lou and Mildred were excited about the barn dance and hayride they were about to go on on Halloween night. The girls just couldn't conjure up a prank to pull on Clyde and Dick, that could measure up to the boys hanging a dressmaker's doll on Window Johnson's old dead tree in her front yard. Whatever that prank would be, it would have to be very good. During lunch, the boys propositioned them with a dare. The agreement was for the girls each to drive a stake into a grave at midnight on Halloween night, and the boys would pay them ten dollars. The girls agreed, think, thinking they could come back with some gruesome horror stories to scare the boys out of their wits. October 31st, 1933, 8 o'clock at night. The foursome was having a great time at the dance. The boys kept asking the girls if they're sure they wanted to go through with the agreement. The girls were positive. During the hayride, the group leader was telling a story about a jealous husband's outrage uh, with regard to his wife after finding her with a lover. During his panic, he murdered her, chopped her into small parts, and tried to dispose of her body. All the remains found were her two arms, now buried in Grace Lawn Cemetery. Grace Lawn Cemetery? The graveyard the girls were about to be at this very night. Mildred was in a frenzy. How was she going to handle this? Why did she let them talk her into it? Mildred came back to her senses. The hayride comes to an end. She could hear Betty Lou and the boys planning out the evening. They all were to meet at the general store at 1 a.m. after the graveyard incident. The time finally came. Mildred and Betty Lou found themselves at the graveyard. Betty Lou was to pound her stake into grave number 12 and Mildred into number 56. They decided to just meet at the back of the store. 
Betty Lou pounded her stake as directed and gave a signaling whistle to Mildred. Betty Lou was finished. She headed back. Mildred pounded her stake and got up to leave. Something was tugging her skirt. She screamed for help and nobody came. She tried harder to get away, but it was useless. At 1 a.m., Betty Lou and the boys were worried about Mildred. Why hadn't she shown up? Had she been hurt? They decided to go back to the graveyard, but it was the dead of night and too dark to see a thing. They came to the conclusion that she was tired and went home. November 1st, 1933, the Jonesboro Morning Bee read, Girl found dead in Gracelawn Cemetery with stake through her dress. That's from Ron in Seattle. On the toll-free line, you're on the air. Hi. I make that the wild card line. Hello? No, you're not. On the first-time caller line, you're on the air. Good morning. Hello? Hello. Hi, Hart. Hi. Uh, I'm calling from Santa Rosa. Santa Rosa. Uh, KSRO. Great. And I will tell you a truth. That I know, as sure as I know my name, that ghosts and poltergeists and past-life visions are all one and the same. That they're all agents of Satan. On 1989... On Thanksgiving Day, my mother-in-law died. And I hadn't spoken to her for three years because I'd had the consummate nerve of questioning her about Grandpa drinking and driving with my son in the car, and she never spoke to me again. Uh. And the next day, my husband arrived home, and he'd been with her at the moment of her death, and she'd thrown back the blankets as if to leave, and she was clouded with morphine. And he and I stood outside on the sidewalk and watched cloud about 50 feet long and 40 feet wide, just about the height of the telephone poles. It was yeah. brown, dirty mist. And we watched it dissipate in front of our eyes. And I made a joke, and I said, maybe that's your mother's spirit. And about a week later, his father reported that some things were turned around on the mantelpiece and a spot on the windowsill where she placed the glass refused to dry. And we thought, well, he drinks a lot. You know, this can't be true. And about a week after that, I was sitting in the living room, and my husband was at his office, and her music box in the corner of the room went on all by itself. Mm. And I called him up and really freaked him out. And he sort of had, he kind of abandoned the family in that he was up there every weekend sitting at the foot of her bed on the floor writing poetry about her. It was sort of an emotionally incestuous relationship. Well, he began to change a lot. Oh. And what was going on was he was seeing another woman who later turned out to be the image of his mother, an older woman. And he literally turned in into her. Um, wow. And he would come to the door one day screaming at me to quit using his last name. We've been together 17 years. And the next day he would forget that he even said that and be very charming. And My had, God, how did you get through this? It's still going on. My son, he spreaded my son away, and my son became addicted to drugs, showed up on my doorstep last October, all into the master, and saying to me, Satan rules. And he brought with him head lice, body lice, chicken lice, and mites. And a year has gone by, I've spent $3,000, and I'm still fighting these things. My son has come and gone. And before he left, he said to me, the master has plans for your life. The next day, my brake fluid was drained. Just weird things just keep happening in this house. There's an odd smell in his room of rotten oranges, 
I had two other people stay just for brief periods of time, and it was dead smells coming from underneath. I'm still battling this at this moment. My God. Adam's family values. Oh, man. <laughs> really? All right. Um, I, I appreciate your story, and I wish you well, ma'am. I don't know what to tell you, but I think, faced with a similar circumstance, um, I would give even my son, under those conditions, the old heave-ho, and I would try and free myself of that, because I believe you're in a dangerous situation. On the toll-free line, you're on the air. Good morning. One second. Let me get the radio. Yes, thank you. Uh, turn them off the moment you get on the air, please. This is actually Coast to Coast AM. Hey, Art, how you doing? I'm fine, sir. Do you have a story for us? Yeah, this is uh, Dale from Portland, KEX. Yes, Dale. Yeah, I'm originally from West Virginia, and uh, I had my grandfather tell me a story a long time ago about uh, his great-grandfather told him a story of... Uh... Ooh, I always get nervous on here. Okay, but uh, they had bought some uh, like plantation down in uh, Logan County, West Virginia, mm -hmm. and it had a big field. And they didn't—they hadn't found out. This is all a story told me by my grandfather. And uh, my great grandfather tried to plow up the land and everything there, and uh, the ground was real rocky. And when they later looked, it was like uh, makeshift little little uh, grave markers. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, my grandpa told me that one night my grandfather was awakened by uh, chains rattling and screams and stuff like that, right? That can't we at least have peace in our, you know, death and stuff? Yes. And my grandfather told him, he said, uh, well, you know, he was probably just having a dream. And he said, yeah, he could have been having a dream, but, you know, all the grandchildren heard it, too. So I was kind of like freaked out by that story, you know. So I can uh, imagine. I, uh, did he ever pl continue to try to plow that land? No, or? they uh, discontinued plowing that land. I can they imagine. Left it alone. <laughs> I can imagine I would have too. Thank you very much for the call. I wonder why spirits or those who are who have left are in any way at all attached to or concerned with their prior physical bodies. Or maybe it would be true that a spirit would be uh, still attached to thinking about their physical body. I don't know. I mean, who knows about these things? Uh, but uh, so many of the stories seem to concern the bodies that have been, that are now buried below the earth. On the wild card line, you're on the air. Good morning. Oh, hello. I'm calling from San Diego. Yes, sir. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of of a you know, skeptical mind about these things, and um, don't usually, I don't believe in anything supernatural. And uh, but just the other day, I was sitting down with my my sister, and uh, we were just talking about things. And um, we had one of our one of her one of her children, my nephew Jesse, was with us, and talking about things that um, uh, you know things that uh, uh, scare him and so on. And he mentioned the ghosts. And I naturally, I, I spoke up and I said, well, there's no such things as ghosts. And then my sister spoke up, and, uh, and we're pretty close. And, and, she, and, she, and she said, in all seriousness, um, she, she said, uh, well, you know, the, the ghosts, ghosts are the one thing I do believe in. And uh, she never to had told me this story before because she thought she would just be laughed at. Uh, but um, uh, she, uh, she would see these, she's seen these figures in this uh, duplex that she's living at. 
Yes. And um, uh, one of them is, is in her um, uh, one of her children's bedrooms. Her other son, Casey, is seven years old, and uh, she would see this this figure in there. And, she, and the first couple of times, she would think it was um, um, Casey. And she would look in there, and she saw this, this small child uh, dressed in sort of with a strange hat and uh, suspenders, and sitting on the floor playing. And she would and she went into the um, to, to look into the doorway and said, "Casey." And then Casey would say, "What, mommy?" Or whatever. He'd be in, like in the kitchen or the living room down the hallway, uh, the, the other side of the house. And she turned around, and, and there would be Casey. And then she uh, would look back, and the figure would be gone. And uh, she's also seen uh, one other figure in the hallway. She has her bedroom right off the hall, and she she leaves the door open most of the time. And uh, she would see this figure, like when she was reading a book in bed or whatever, and she and she would um, just like out of the corner of her eye notice this this man uh, with a dark beard, and then she would look up and they'd be there for an instant, and then it would just um, disappear. Do you have any idea what these uh, entities are? I, I have no idea. Uh, absolutely no idea. And I, she had never told this story before, and uh, you know, uh, it was just—it's—it's it's, uh, something that kind of spooked me because, uh, you know, I, I just something that I don't believe in. And uh, uh, but the fact that she was telling me with, with such sincerity and conviction that this was that this had actually taken place, um, you know, I just what do what do you fancy, sir, happens to us after we die? Well, my my uh, <clears throat> my normal belief is simply. That you know, I'm sort of based on on a rational, you know, um, that you know when the brain dies. So in other words, you've always thought lights out, that's it, shows over. Uh, well, yeah, in all probability, that that would be my general conviction. All right, sir. Thank you very much for the call. That's it. Lights out, shows over. That's all there is. It seems to me less likely than the alternative that there is some sort of survival following physical death, and I do believe there is. And I do believe the story you told and others you will hear this morning. On the wild card line, you're on the air. Good morning. Morning, Art. Hi. This is Dave from Portland, Oregon, KEX country. Wonderful, Dave. Glad to have you. Have I got a ghost story for you. All right. I uh, rented a place several years ago above an old store called Liberal Store just north of Malala. Uh-huh. Huge, huge three-bedroom uh what they call a top stair upstairs apartment above the store. Right. My wife and my mother and I moved into the place. I love the place. There was a room in this place that no matter, it was about 110 out that summer, most of the summer, beautiful swimming weather. Uh, there was a room I used to go into and play handball against the wall because it was a huge bedroom we had no need for. I understand. I never sweated. I never got hot. I never had any trouble in this place. I worked graveyards. Right. I slept perfectly in this apartment even in the heat of the day. My mother began having episodes, swinging chandeliers, fingerprints left on her arms from something touching her. She'd scream, oh my God, something's touched me. And you could smell lilac perfume vividly. Mm. My wife and I, and her little sister and her little brother, were sitting eating hamburgers one night, watching TV. They had done the dishes after dinner was made, before we ate, and we heard a big crash. Went in there and all the dishes were scooped into the sink. Oh boy. My uh, wife's stepfather has a beautiful Alaskan Husky dog, a large dog. He uh, says, oh, I think you're crazy. I don't believe in it. He said, I'll bring my dog over. Dogs are supposed to know about these things is what they say. I said, you bring him on over. His name is Butch. Brought Butch over. Butch came in, looked around for a few minutes. We let him go. He was snooping around. Pretty soon we heard him whimpering in the bathroom. Now, this is a 65-pound Alaskan Husky. He would not come out of the bathroom. When we finally forced him to come out of the bathroom, he walked around 
an invisible pylon in the doorway. No. And he would not go back. And he ran out the door. Three nights later, I'd come home from work off the graveyard. I'd come home early because I'd worked like a half shift. My mother and my wife were sitting on the tailgate of my pickup. I drove my mother's car that night because my truck wasn't running right. And my wife says, I want to move. She says, I want to move tonight. And I said, what's wrong? She says, you know we've been having these problems. But I said, I've never had a problem. She says, let me show you something. Went upstairs, and all of our Bibles were on the floor, and they were all open uh, to, the, uh, to, the, to the area of the Bible where it talks about King David quite often. <laughs> and my uh, look, I, I, for, for one thing, let me stop you. I agree with your wife. I'd be gone. <laughs> well, we did move immediately, actually, that next week. My mother believes it was my grandmother who was upset with her because I was out of the state when she died. Mm. Uh, one more thing that did happen was a chandelier would swing at any given time in the, in the dining room. My cat one time flew backwards out of this room that I liked, and the cat wouldn't come back in our apartment. My wife one night called me at work and said, somebody's beating on the upstairs door. Well, this was two and a half stories off the ground. Uh, somebody was knocking on the windows. We moved the next day. I don't blame you. Yeah. And, and that is the true. And my mother and my wife are, to this day, we go by that store when you drive out the old highway there. Right. They won't stop and go into that store. And that ended it? For us, it ended it. Now, I have heard stories. I have friends of Malala and family. I've heard stories that several families have moved in and moved right back out. And we don't know if it's the... The, the place is very, very old. Hundreds of years old. This building's probably been there since the early, early 1900s or more. And it's a store at the bottom and an apartment at the top. And like I say, it's two and a half, almost three stories tall. And my wife claimed, you know, I wasn't there the night the windows were being knocked on, but her little sister, who's very skeptical, doesn't believe in any of this, or didn't until then, told me, she said, I was pure white, was shaking. Uh, pure white, I couldn't stand to stay there because something be was knocking on all the windows and was knocking on the upstairs door. We had two doors, a downstairs door that led to the outside. You came up a long stair corridor. And, dark, you, and long. you really did it. You really moved. Yes, we did. Would uh, Do you swear to us this is a true story? Honest to God, I swear to you. My wife is in the bedroom listening on the radio to hear me tell the story. She's the one that wanted me to call. My mother's standing here looking at me with this funny look on her face. Uh, it's, a, it's an honest to true story. I've had friends come to my house. Her little brother came and spent the night. Prove it to me. Get your wife. Okay. I, I'll tell you what. Now, now hold on. Now, okay. I'm, I'm coming up to a break here, all right? Okay. And so what I'm going to do is break. You won't hear anything on the line... Um, uh, during the time that we're gone, but don't worry, we'll come back to you right after the break. How's okay, that? Okay, we'll be waiting. All right, good. Thank you. Um, stay, stand by, stay right there. And this is uh, perhaps yet the best example of what I was telling you about. If this kind of thing scares you uh, unreasonably, then my suggestion is to tune out because it sounds like uh, it's well underway. This is Ghost to Ghost AM. This is Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell on the CBC Radio Network. Good morning. Welcome back. This is the best talk radio in the nighttime, the largest, fastest growing nighttime talk radio program. And this morning, we're talking about ghosts. If you have a story, we'd love to hear it. If not, sit back, dim the lights, and prepare yourself. Now, 
if we are lucky, back to the telephone now and uh, the continuation of the story we were hearing or the confirmation of it. Hello? Hello. Yes, sir. Yes, I'm back. Uh, you're back, okay. And my wife is sitting here, you know, we were discussing this, and she says, uh, well, I was a skeptic until this happened. I didn't believe in poltergeist. Now she's here to tell you about it. All right, uh, put her there on. There she is. All right. Hello. Hi there. I swear this story is true, I swear. It is true. Yep, I never, ever believed in anything like this before. It is so bizarre. And you are the one who said, that's it, folks, we're out of here? Yep, I refused to go back. We went and stayed with relatives till we could move. I refused to spend another night there. Wow. I wouldn't go back. Well, I must say, I am with you, and I would have been the person first saying... We're out of here. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it, it happened for like two weeks before any of us ever mentioned it to each other. We'd all been having like little episodes separately. And then me and my mother-in-law were sitting there one night, and I said, what's going on? And this cabinet door was opening and closing in the kitchen. Oh, boy. And that's when we discussed with each other and said, we think we're living here with a ghost. Mm -hmm. Well, I can imagine that would occur, that everybody would have little things that would occur to them, and, and you kind of dismiss them or... Well, yeah, because you don't want to believe it. You don't want to believe it. You never want to believe it. That's right. But then you start putting it all together and you uh -huh, all see and it. And it is. And mm -hmm. it just, it, too much started happening. I, look, I appreciate your confirmation. It's really kind of you to come on the phone. And uh, thank you both. Thank your husband for me. Okay, thank you. Take care. There you are, folks. That's me. I, I think I would have um, left. I, I, on the one hand, I would like to have the experience. I would like to experience something that I would definitely call an apparition, something that would confirm for me uh, the afterlife. Uh, but on the other hand, it would scare the pants off me, and I think I'd be out of there as quickly as possible. On the first-time caller line, uh, good morning. You are on the air. Yeah, I'm Art. I'm calling from Overland Park, Kansas. Overland Park, Kansas, on a portable telephone. Yeah, sorry about that. Um... I've got a really strange story. This happened to me. Uh, I'm, I'm 22 years old now. I was uh, between 14 and 16 years old. True story. Um, I was in my parents' house, which we uh, we had built. You know, nobody lived there before. Mm -hmm. And uh, my parents had gone on a walk for the evening with my brothers and sisters, and I was sitting at home. And I I remember it was really well. Cause it was a Thursday night because I was watching Simon and Simon. And I'm watching TV, and uh, I just got a, a feeling of disorientation around me. It was really strange. And uh, there's plants hanging above the television set. And I look up, and uh, this thing it distracted me, and it was like a, uh, if you would see an, it was like almost invisible shape going through the plants. Okay, just uh, an, something. An, an invisible shape going through the plants? Yeah, it's the, on, the only way I can explain it is uh, if... if uh, you mean as though you could see the plants... Uh, moving aside for something that was moving in them? It was it was as if uh, inside the, the little shape that was moving, it was like a, a swirled clear color. Just You could tell something was there moving really fast, and it was just gone. I understand. And uh, and I, I just got a really odd feeling of disorientation around me, and I, I kind of, you know, I'm looking around, my just turning around, looking around, having this odd feeling. And I turn back and look behind me down the hall, and uh, down the hall, I... There's a figure standing there, just as plain as day, nothing you could see through, just solid. And it was not facing me, it was facing a different direction, down a different hall. And I'm getting goosebumps just thinking, just talking about this, but uh, this figure was standing about six, five, seven feet tall. I couldn't tell, it didn't look like anything was touching the ground. And it was a white figure, 
Um, it had the, the head of this figure was like a uh, almost like a knight in armor's helmet. Ooh, that's weird. But it was completely white and uh, just just the solid, just a shiny white. And the helmet came down around, kind of around his chest, its chest. And uh, there's a white robe hanging down off of the helmet, it was, and that went down almost to the floor. I don't know if it touched the floor. It was just all it was was a white robe with this helmet, and it was facing a different direction. And as I sat there and stared at it and just could not move, it slowly turned towards me, just pivoting, not no leg movement or anything, just moving towards me, just just not moving towards me, but just turning towards me. Mm. And as it as it faced me, I I I was just so scared. I just I closed my eyes and opened my eyes, and it was gone. And uh, Now, I'm curious. At that moment, you closed your eyes and opened them and it was gone. A lot of people would say to themselves, you know, that means I was imagining it. Right. I, 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 well, nothing like that had ever happened to me before. You know, I, I, no traumas in my life to do anything like that. And I, when it, it turned to me, it slowly was a, a matter of five or seven seconds as it turned. I was watching it turn towards me. Oh, and it turned towards me, and it was gone, and I just sat there, you know, curled right next to the TV until my parents came home, and it had just gotten dark, and I just sat there for, you know, 20 minutes or so, just not moving, just shaking. And I, I no, I, I do understand. Sir, uh, During when this occurred, did you have a feeling of evil or fright, or how would you describe your emotions? It, there, no evil. Um, uh, my emotions were just, I, I don't know what was happening, and there's just a feeling around me of just a tingling feeling, just like, what is going on? Because nothing's ever happened to me, you know, like that in this house before, and it seems like no reason for it. I've never heard a story like that before. Well, a young lady called earlier and said, too scared to scream, to actually make noise. Yeah, I, I can understand that. It's just a feeling of awe. It just, like, uh, you know, you don't think about it when it's happening at, at all. You don't think about it until it's over with, and then it's just frightening. I appreciate your story. Thank you. It was a Sunday night. I worked the graveyard shift and got done getting ready for work a little early. Since I had about a half hour to kill, I sat down, put on the headphones to listen to the stereo. As I relaxed, I got that eerie feeling that someone was watching me. Couldn't resist the feeling. So I turned around and saw someone run down the hall. I knew my roommate was out for the night, but thought, well, maybe he'd come home and was playing a trick on me. Went down the hall, turned on all the lights, called out to him, no response. Okay, my mind is playing tricks on me. So I sat down and put the headphones back on. I started getting that strange feeling again that someone was watching me. This time I turned around quickly and again saw someone run back down the hall. At this point I was getting scared. I ran out of the apartment, went to work. Later called my roommate, told him what happened. He told me I was cracked. The next day seemed fairly normal. I went to bed around noon. About seven that night, I was awakened by the sound of a girl crying. It was dark in my room, but I could see the living room lights uh, from under the door. I thought to myself, my roommate and his girlfriend had gotten into a fight. I lay there for a while, and the crying continued. The more I listened, I could tell that the crying wasn't coming from the living room. So I sat up in bed. And there was a girl sitting on the chair in my bedroom. She was about 16 years old, wearing a blue dress from the late 
1800s, long blonde hair and crying. When I asked her who she was and what was wrong, she looked at me with a frightened look, stood up and disappeared right into the wall. I came running out of the bedroom. My roommate was sitting quietly watching TV. I told him what had just happened. He, of course, didn't see or hear any of it, didn't believe me. Never saw the girl again. To this day, I have no explanation as to what happened. That's from Pat in Scottsdale, Arizona, listening to KFYI. Thanks, Pat. That's a uh, hair curler. On the toll-free line, you're on the air. Good morning. Ah, good morning, Art. Yes, sir. Where are you calling from? I'm listening off of uh, San Antonio, W-O-A-I. Yes, sir. And where are you? Uh, well, I'm in Denver, Art. Uh, you, I can't listen that late on Sundays here. No, I understand. Uh, go right ahead. Okay. Well, I don't know how scary this is, but uh, it's true. One night I was sleeping, and I, I woke up to, to find myself, you talk about feeling a presence, and it wasn't... Uh, it wasn't a divine presence, but it felt kind of ominous to me. In fact, I was I was kind of frightened, but I felt like a weight on top of my body, and I started feeling myself spinning on the bed, which, like I said, it did frighten me, and I I, uh, I wasn't having any of it. So <laughs> I uh, started, not that I'm particularly... Uh, uh, well, I am religious, but anyway, I started reciting the Lord's Prayer, but it wasn't having any effect. And I, I said to myself, well, geez, a lot of good this does, you know. And oh, then... oh, ye of little faith, I'm <laughs> tempted to say. In other words, you tried the Lord's Prayer once, and when the weight was still well, no, there... no, I was right? repeating it over again in my head. Yeah, okay. Then I, I found myself making uh, a sign of the cross with my arm, this just big, gigantic sign of the cross. And the interesting thing is this. I had the bedroom door closed, and this Labrador who's passed on, her name was Angel, black Labrador, the door was closed, I didn't make any noise, she just starts barking her head off, mm. and uh, I, I, I just felt that whatever it was at that time had left, and then these geese a quarter of a mile from the house started squawking their heads off. And I, I, I thought to myself, well, did they hear Angel barking? Or, you know, did they... I, I just kind of imagined that whatever this was flew over them, but that's the story. All right, sir, I, I thank you. And again, it's the sense or the feeling and another story with regard to a dog. Isn't that interesting? Animals do seem to feel things that... or, or, or feel them earlier than we do or are more aware of them, and it has to do with the fact that they are closer to nature than are we. Even though they may live in homes with us, they don't partake of the 20th century uh, the way we do, and all the noise and the inherent uh, interruption uh, that we have, and so they, they are um, faster to sense a presence. Uh, there are some people, though, that are rather sensitive to this sort of thing. And they feel it early and quickly, as an animal would. Uh, but for most of us, an animal is a pretty good, uh, a pretty good monitor. Haven't you ever felt something uh, that your dog first felt? It'll, it'll get up and start to bark, or your cat will totally freak out, or whatever animal you have around, and then you'll feel it. Something's close, something's near, there's a presence. Maybe nothing more than that. They feel it first, usually. 
on the toll-free line. You're on the air. Good morning. Hello. Hello. Yes, ma'am. Turn your radio off, please. Okay. And uh, tell us where you're calling from. Granite City, Illinois. Okay. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Go right ahead. Okay. Uh, I was raised in this house from when I was born up until the age of 13. And uh, there was, like, plates would fly off of the table and smash into, like, the cabinets. And there was there would be, like, cold spots in the house and uh, uh, different smells. Sometimes it would be, like, real foul old odors, and then other times it would be, like, real sweet smells. Sounds like a poltergeist. Well, I don't know, but it was very, very scary. How could you live in such a house? Because I was a child. I had You'd really no choice. no choice to move out. Well, what did your mother and your father say? Oh, well, they we all experienced the different things. We would hear, like, footsteps walking up the steps. Did you actually see a plate lift and fly off a table? Yes, and also coffee cups, like the real thick coffee cups would, like, smash into the metal cabinets and leave big dents. Wow. And uh, they, uh, my parents had, I, I don't remember what you called them, but they came in to, like, uh, like drive out ghosts. And I guess there was probably about four of them that came in, and they felt the more presence in the basement. And I... Someone had said that there was a person that had hung themselves in the basement. Oh. Most of the activities happened in the basement. Yes. And uh, doors would slam, and uh, we had a dog, and the dog would, like, start watching something, you know, that we couldn't see in the room. Right. And uh, I was, the, the day that we moved out of the house, I, that was one of the happiest days of my life. How long did that go on? Until we moved. Which was how long? Thirteen years. Thirteen years? Mm-hmm. Uh, after the people that came in to drive out whatever was in the house, it, the activities kind of slowed down a little bit for a short time, but then it started again. And uh, I don't think anyone lives in that house for uh, very long periods of time. Is that uh, in the state of Illinois? Yes, it is. Well, that's quite a story, and I'm glad yeah. you made it through it all right. I, I don't think I could have handled 13 years of that or even 13 days. Well, now, if I move into a new house, if I have any, like, if I feel any presence, there is no way that I would live there. Thank you very much for the call. Do you know that in a lot of states, there is now actually on the books a law that uh, requires you to notify anybody who might be considering buying this house that it is haunted. Did you know that? There is actually a law of that sort, and there have been court cases uh, that people have won because there was not notification given of a haunting. Can you imagine living with that for 13 years? And on our toll-free line, you're on the air. Good morning. Good morning, Art Bell. How are you doing? Just fine. Where are you? I'm in Seattle, Washington. Seattle. Uh-oh. We're holding this line for east of the Rockies, sir, until 2 a.m. Pacific. Okay, I'll call back. All right, thank you. I appreciate that. On the wild card line, you're on the air. Hi. Hi, Art. How are you doing? Just fine. Where are you? I'm in Lexington. Lexington, Kentucky. Excellent. 
got two stories for you. All right. Uh, one was when I graduated from tech school when I was in the Air Force. Mm-hmm. Me and a WAF boarded a plane in Chicago, and so she was telling me about the aircraft, and as we boarded, there was two pilots sitting in the back. And I said, uh, we can talk to them, you know, later on when we get airborne, because there was a technicality that she didn't quite understand on the aircraft. Yes. Well, the plane got took off and everything, and the seatbelt deal came off, and I said, let's step back there and talk to them, and we looked around, and they were gone. So I said to the uh, airline stewardess, I said, ma'am, I said, where did the uh, pilot go? She said, what pilot? I said, the two pilots in the back. And the girl sitting with me said, yeah, we've seen two of them. She said, wait right here, I'll be right back. And she ran and got two stewardesses to come back. She said, tell them exactly what you told me. And so I told her and told the other two, and the one started crying and got all upset and had to take her in the back. Do you recall the aircraft that crashed in the Everglades? Very well, sir. It, that's what part of that was. Oh, God. I've heard a lot of stories like this. And I think there are many... I have a very good friend that works for a major company, which I can't name. And I'm, when, I, when he retires from this company, I'm going to have him on, on the air, and uh, we're going to tell some of these stories. But you are exactly right. That particular crash... Four, I think it was flight 401, wasn't it? 401 or 409. I, Four, they were chalky white-looking, the individuals, but they looked solid. Listen to me. I'm telling you, I've heard privately told, um, not for attribution, uh, uh, stories just like the one you're telling me right now, and it's going on to this day. Aircraft are haunted. Oh, okay. And... Um, and it's because of that particular crash and a few others. And well, they cannibalize the parts, don't they, and put them in the other aircraft? You see, yeah, that's right. Uh, you see, spirits uh, that lose their lives uh, unexpectedly, uh, as in an air crash, mm-hmm. I think are the ones that tend to be troubled, uh, possibly remain on this earth, possibly haunt um, at at the location of their death. In this case, an aircraft. Well, the second story has to do with uh, a place in Tennessee called Cookville, and that happened this summer. We moved into a trailer park, into a little trailer, and it was really clean. It was a nice little trailer. No air conditioning, though. It was when it was real hot. And the first night I got up to go to the restroom, it was about 1 or 2 in the morning, the bathroom, mm-hmm. I stepped on in through the living room, and, of course, we had the windows open and everything. There was an alley by the, the trailer, and I heard a girl laughing. And I thought, what in the world? You know, about 2 in the morning. I looked out, and I didn't see anybody. So I went to the bathroom, and then I come on back. And the next morning, I was telling, you know, my, my friend about it. Right. And she said, probably just somebody outside. And I said, okay. And our cat kept his head riveted to this one spot in the living room. He, You know, when you picked him up, it was like a joke. His head would just rivet back and forth on this one spot, pivot. I understand. Um, Anyways, later on, one of the neighbors had told, finally told us that the reason they couldn't keep that trailer rented was because a girl was brutally murdered there a year before. Okay, so we were, you know, I said, well, we got to get out of here eventually. You know, I mean, I don't want to stay in this trailer because we kept hearing bangs and knocks and different things. Yes. And so we were sitting there. This is in the afternoon, too. We were sitting there arguing about the doors being open. We had both doors open on this trailer because we didn't have air conditioning. Okay, very quickly now. And I said, why don't you close the door? And she said, why don't you do it? And about the time, that time, the door just slammed shut. Oh. And I just turned around and I said, thank you. That would be enough for me. Well, we moved. We we got the heck out of there. But 
uh, that trailer definitely had some problems. But it was so weird the way that cat would just watch that. And, and then, I know, they know. Sir, yeah. I've got to go. Thank Thanks, you. Sir. Thank you very much for the call. Have a good morning. This is Ghost to Ghost AM. Kingdom of Nye. This is Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell on the CBC Radio Network. Now, once again, here's Art. Good morning. Those stations just joining us, you have missed two hours of pure ghost stories. We will continue in a moment. The night is yours. The weekend is here. It's Halloween weekend. And this is the annual ghost show. The only thing we take all night long are ghost stories, and we've had some buttes so far, believe me. Here is uh, one just faxed in, and you are welcome to fax in a ghost story if you have one. Uh, they're better when they're short, and uh, I would appreciate that. The fax number, area code 702-727-8499, 8499 Dear Art, this is a true story, as well as I can recall it. In 1973, as a member of the U.S. Air Force, I was stationed at Altus Air Force Base, Oklahoma. During that particular year, the author Peter Blatty's novel, The Exorcist, was the hit movie of the season, as well as the paperback version of the screenplay. The paperback was distributed throughout the barracks uh, that I lived in, one resident at a time, as we did in those days. When it was my turn to read the novel, I read it with much anticipation as well as much anxiety. The following night, around, oh, about five, oh, five hundred hours, five o'clock in the morning, I was awakened by the sensation of something pounding on the lower bunk that I slept in. It was moving up my torso. At that time, I didn't have a roommate, but the sensation frightened me so much that I got out of my bunk, scrambled to the door, opened it, and yelled for help as loud as I could. Not one of my barracks mates in our building heard my screams of help, not one, or corroborated my version of the story. But to this day, I believe the incident was very real, an actual occurrence. I don't tempt mirrors or taboos of that nature to this day. AP in San Diego. And this. Art, in January of 1976, I was busy cleaning the kitchen after dinner. The kids were in the living room watching TV, and my husband, a cop at the time, had returned to work. Suddenly I heard a voice calling my name, Carol Ann. It sounded like my grandfather, who lived in Indiana. I was in Mesa, Arizona. Regardless of how old I am, he always called me by both my first and middle name, about 15 minutes after this episode, the telephone rang. It was my sister in California. She was calling to tell me that my grandfather had passed away about an hour before. Since I had always been very close to my grandfather, I just figured he'd passed through to see me before he went on. It had been a couple of years since I'd seen him. In July of 80, I had a dream about both my grandparents, and they were in their wedding clothes, young and dancing and laughing and having a wonderful time. The next morning... 
My mom called me to inform me that Grandma had just passed away during the night. I think she came to me to let me know she was glad and was with Granddad again, and both were very happy. Back to the phones. On the toll-free line, you're on the air. Good morning. Dale yeah, Art, this is Radical Rudy in St. Louis. Hi there, Radical Rudy. How you doing? Fine. I'm talking to you on my tropay, listening to you on my 818CS. Excellent. Uh, say, this happened in 1972, Art. Uh, I was out uh, near Gallup, New Mexico, actually in a little town called Chinley, Arizona, uh -huh. on the Indian Reservation. Oh, yes. And I was a surveyor. Uh, I was out there with my boss one night in the fall of the year, probably about this time of the year, and he was on one mountain ridge and I was on the other. And we were surveying back and forth across the, this valley. And he kept saying, do you hear those wolves? And I said, man, I don't hear any wolves. Wolves. And he said, you know, he said these Indians supposedly uh, can turn into a wolf. He said, I hope there's no uh, burial grounds over there by you. And I was in a Jeep and the top was off of it. And I was sitting there, it was kind of warm, and uh, I was starting to get spooked a little bit because I had never seen anything weird or anything. But I'm uh, sitting there in a Jeep, and I got my arm hanging out the window, talking to my boss on the radio, and all of a sudden something started licking on my hand. <laughs> I almost panicked. I jerked my hand up, and I looked out, and it was an old hound dog. <laughs> but I'm telling you... That seat was very unclean for several days. Uh, I'm with you. All right. That, that. It really scared me. Thank you very much. I can imagine it would. I mean, you're set up for that. <laughs> Your arm's hanging out. That's actually kind of funny. I appreciate the story, sir. Uh, what we're telling are true, uh, real ghost stories for the most part. That was an almost ghost story. And I'm sure that uh, the emotion he felt at that moment was very real. You can get psychologically set up for something like that, which may have happened to him and certainly may have occurred also to the man who was reading The Exorcist. I mean, there is cannot be a better setup than that. The Exorcist had to be one of the most frightening movies ever done. And to this day, I believe The Exorcist is one of the most frightening movies ever made. And if you sit down and watch it, Today, um, you, you, it will scare you as much as it did then. There was something about it that no other ghost film quite ever lived up to. And I'm not sure what it was. I believe it had to do with the church and its involvement. I'm not exactly sure. But nothing has quite ever lived up to it. The other uh, film that I thought was very frightening was the original Poltergeist. Very well done. On the toll-free line, you're on the air. Hello. Art Bell? Yes. This is the Agile Independent from Austin, Texas on the mighty WOAI. Austin, Texas. Yes, sir. Um, when I was a kid, about seven years old, I stayed with my Aunt Marie in the country. Yes. It was a pretty nice thing, except for when we had to go to church. And this is a ghost story. Well, a kind of one. Okay. We, they were charismatic, and they would run around and act real silly in church, and so they'd make all us kids stay in the back of the church where we couldn't see him be silly and we'd get really bored. So one day we decided to do something as a group, us kids, to offend him. So we found this uh, pen and this little salamander lizard and we nailed it to the wall and we told them that if God didn't accept this sacrifice, we were giving it to Satan. And naturally they got really upset, and, oh, but I'm they didn't sure do they anything did. terribly bad. 
The next night when I was asleep, for some reason I bolted straight awake. And when I and I kept my room really clean. Well, actually I didn't. My Aunt Marie did. And when I looked into my closet, there was a thing sitting there. This thing, I mean, if it if it weren't for the way this thing looked, I would have thought it was a nightmare. What was it? It was, if you can imagine something that's four-dimensional, it's a pitch-black room, and this thing is so dark I can clearly see it. I mean, it's like, it was kind of like black light, and along the edges of it was kind of, it, you could see its edges because it's like the very air around it was repelled by it, like like it found it obscene, and it's like the very matter around it just was repelling from it. Oof, that'd do it for me. Well, it's it's it. The only thing about it that actually looked physical was its teeth. It was a triangle with a slit up the center that ended in a little round thing. And when I looked into its eyes, which at first looked like kind of pools of light blood swimming around, it is it, it got two blue dots that looked just like my eyes that were in the center of it. And the longer I looked at it, the faster my heart began to beat. I got so scared, I tried to yell out and scream for help. And I, I couldn't. My voice just stopped. I couldn't. I understand that kind of fright. So frightening, you cannot scream, not out loud. Exactly. So the last thing I did was cried out to God for help in my head. It was all I could do. And the next thing I knew, it was morning, and I was laying down in bed. And I don't remember any time passing between those events could it have been just a nightmare that's the that would have been my attitude except for one thing yes nothing on earth could look like this thing oh and in the morning i looked into where the uh, the only other antidote to the story was is i did open the closet because it was closed again when i woke up yes and my toys were piled end on end oh and my toys were kept very, very straight and neat. That was the other thing. They were always lined up very neatly on little shelves in the back, and they were totally jumbled as if someone had deliberately turned them over and upside down, but none of them were broken. That'd be it for me, partner. Yeah, I mean, but no. Try to imagine something that's four-dimensional and that the very environment around it, it just finds it obscene and repels from it. I Imagine your eyes being sucked into this thing and seeing your own eyes looking back at you. No, thank you. I appreciate the story. You're welcome. Thank you. From Austin, Texas. Well, this will sound silly to you, I suppose, but my wife knows. She may not know why until I tell you now. I know she's listening in the next room. I always close closet doors. I don't like closets. Closets are dark places where if anything was going to come, I would think it would come. And uh, I, I, I always close closets before I go to sleep. Now, what is it about closets? They're dark areas from which things come. Everybody knows that. <laughs> it's just a habit. I don't like open closet doors, and uh, so before I go to bed, I always go over and close them. And that's why. Probably shouldn't admit that, huh? But it is true. On the wild card line, you're on the air. Hello. Hello there. 
Going once, going twice, going three times. On the wild card line, uh, let's see, number two, you're on the air. Yes, Art, this is Henry and Taft. Hello, Henry. Uh, I like your program tonight, very interesting. Oh, yes. I've lived in a haunted house now for 36 years. Why? Uh, that's, that's what I always ask. Why would somebody stay in a haunted house? Well, you just, you get used to it. <laughs> the, what kind of haunting? Well, there's six different ghosts. And it took me about 20 years of research to find out what happened on the property. And there was a tragedy, two different tragedies, one in 1903, another in 1906. It's always an early death, unexpected uh -huh. death. Violent death by fire, That's both cases. Oh, boy. And so with the property came the ghosts. Well, what kind of haunting has it been? Everything. Doors opening and closing. You never, I've never seen them physically. I see their shadows. And there are three sisters that were killed in the fire in 1906, and they run through the house frequently at night. One time I had an huh. aunt staying with me, and the, the girls ran through the house back and forth for six hours straight. Really? <laughs> yeah, my aunt never came back. Uh, I wouldn't either. <laughs> uh, that's, uh, that's frightening stuff, and it goes on to this day? Oh, yes. And you never quite see them? They're shadows? Mm-hmm. And doors open and close every day. And lamps lift up and set back down every day. Lift up into the air? Yeah. Uh, how do you handle that? I mean, how do you stand it? You, you believe it or not, you get used to it. I mean, you just take it as something that happens as a part of living. Haven't you ever thought of having a priest in to try and stop it? It's never been threatening enough to, in my opinion, call a priest in. I have tried to c communicate with them. No offense, but I don't know how you sleep at night. I mean, it, it may not have done anything yet, but if if those spirits are there, well, of course, uh, that's they're, you. They're there, but they're they're not harmful. They're just uh, I, to be. I don't. They don't realize they're dead because of the way they died. Oh, I've often wondered about that. Whether whether spirits do realize they are dead. They don't. The worst part of the whole haunting is when they one one particular time. It's been about fifteen years ago. I heard uh, a man screaming, a terrible scream. It was in my bedroom. I could hear the screaming, and I ran outside, and it was quiet outside. There was no sound at all. And when I went back inside, the screaming was still going on. And it was, uh, it was later when I finally found a, a witness to the events that had happened. And she said, oh, that was the man when they couldn't get to him when he was dying. He was screaming. Oh, my God. All right, thank you very much for the story. See, that's a chilling one. I wouldn't stay in a home like that, would you? Well, look, because it's topical, I'll tell you, uh, the best ghost photograph... No, the two best pho uh, ghost photographs that I have ever seen, uh, we put originally on uh, computer services for those with computers to download them. Many have seen them, uh, but most of you have not. These ghost photographs are in our new newsletter, and the premier edition of the newsletter is about to come out. And particularly the one by the Stone Mason is probably, uh, in my opinion, uh, the best uh, photograph of an entity that I've ever seen. As a matter of fact, let me take just a moment out and read you the letter that accompanied the uh, photograph that appears in the newsletter. Dear, dear Art, first let me thank you for your daily program and dreamland a week or so ago I heard you talking about 
The Halloween Show with a Listener. I miss most of it, but if you're interested in ghosts, here is a photograph that might be one. A friend of mine who is a stone mason was working on an old home in L.A. On finishing the wine cellar in the old existing basement, he photographed his work for his scrapbook. When he developed the pictures, this is what showed up on one. He didn't see anything when the photo was taken. However, on questioning the architect, he was told that three crews, carpenters and so forth, had walked off the project. It seemed they felt very cold air. Some were pushed down the stairs by an unseen force. Since these photos were taken, I've talked to the architect and was told the home is about a hundred years old and was listed for sale after the man who lived there died. The architect also told me that a Chinese man was interested in buying the home, but when they brought their priests to okay the home, and the Chinese do that, and bless it, they left in a big hurry, screaming. Evidently, the new owner, who's having it completely renovated, knows about the ghost, but does not know what has happened to the workmen nor have they seen this photo. The friend of mine who took the photograph is a Muslim, a very religious man who does not have any interest or belief in ghosts. Just thought you'd like to see it. And he's got the negative. And I must tell you, you have never seen anything like it. I'm going to be very interested in your opinions when you get this um, a newsletter. So it's in there, and uh, in fact, a lot more is in our premier newsletter. Uh, there are uh, There's a Dreamland report, for example, with uh, a big story on Richard Hoagland, a big interview with Richard Hoagland. The key photographs of the moon from Richard Hoagland are also in there. There'll be uh, a number of stories, one about the crime bill. Uh, there'll be a story... Um, from me, a story that I've written for the newsletter that I think is pretty hard-hitting. It's pretty rough stuff. I hope you enjoy it. There's a Behind the Scenes by Alan Corbett, uh, the president of our network. There will be a complete listing of radio stations for Coast to Coast and Dreamland. There will be article after article after article, and uh, already it is growing. It will begin at 16 pages or more. And you can get it now by ordering right now or any time our brand new uh, newsletter entitled After Dark. It's going to be a real downtown production. You can order right now. It's just $29.95. It'll come to you every single month, and that will get you an entire year. If you have Visa or Master Charge, you can call one. In fact, you can call right now. And I recommend before this premier edition uh, is exhausted, you get in on this. 1-800-917-4278. That's 1-800-917-4278 if you have Visa or MasterCard. If not, send $29.95 in a check or money order to Chancellor Broadcasting. 744 East Pine, Central Point, Oregon, 
29.95 to Chancellor Broadcasting, 744 East Pine, like Pine Tree, Central Point, Oregon, 97502. Now, those of you who just joined us at 1 a.m. Pacific Time will not yet have had enough of a chance. You've heard a couple of stories, but cumulatively... Uh, since 11 p.m. Pacific Time, I don't see how you could listen to this. And these people, many of them very articulate, very serious, and very honest, and not begin to believe that there is something that follows this life for some, if not all. That's what we're doing. It's Halloween weekend, and we're telling ghost stories, real ghost stories. Keep listening. Dim the lights if you dare. If you can't handle it, turn it off. We'll be back. Ghost to Ghost AM. I'm Art Bell. We're telling ghost stories, real ones. Join us if you dare. Um, I've got a whole pile of faxes here of very good ghost stories. I guess ask and ye shall receive, and I'll kind of get to them as I can this morning. On the wild card line, you're on the air. Hello. Good morning, Art. Good morning, sir. Uh, this is Mick from Phoenix. Great. I'm not real sure if this is a ghost story or not. Well, tell it and we'll let you know. In the summer of 77, I woke up about 2.30 in the morning because my girlfriend was out of bed. So I walked into the living room to find out what was wrong, and she was sitting on the couch, naked, with her knees pulled up under her chin and her eyes about the size of saucers and looking at me like I'd grown three or four extra heads. Mm. So I said, you know, what's wrong? What's going on? She says... Don't do that to me. Well, it took a little while, but she finally told me that what had happened was she heard me talking and she thought it was in my sleep. She rolled over towards me and she said, you're as stiff as this coffee table and as cold as an ice box. I said, what do you mean? She says, I don't know. I said, I got up and took a look and you're laying there in bed, stiff. Your mouth's a little bit open, but your lips aren't moving and you're carrying on a conversation with a little boy and a woman. And I can hear them talking back to you, and you're talking to a, a, a third person, another woman, but I can't hear her. Oh, boy. I, 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 I guess I'd have done the same thing. I'd be up and out. Well, I guess so. Anyway, apparently I sat and carried on this conversation with a little boy and a woman, with my mouth not moving, being as stiff as a board and as cold as the freezer, for about five or ten minutes. And she sat there and listened to a, a little bit of it, and then went out in the living room, and she could hear all of us talking. Oh. And... Uh, it definitely spooked her, and it, it it affected our relationship considerably. Most of the conversation concerned whether or not the woman that she could hear, where she had left her glasses, why she wasn't wearing them. And what it all hinged from was six months earlier, 
my wife, our son, and her mother were all killed in a car accident. Oh, my gosh. And no one could tell me exactly what happened. So I knew a private investigator, and I asked him, how can I find out what happens? And he laid out all the rules and where I went and what I had to go and who I had to see and what kind of papers I had to get. Right. And I went off and spent about a month doing that, and I found out exactly what happened to them and why. Except I could never figure out why I couldn't find her glasses anywhere in around the car or the accident scene. And so I don't know if it was my brain working with a problem who finally said, look, I'm going to give it an answer so you'll stop working on it, or if something supernatural actually happened. Well, we'll let people decide for themselves, but I think I'd be opting for the latter. Uh, the only reason I lean to it is because apparently the way I felt to her scared her more than, than the voices. She thought I was dead. Thank and you. Thank you for the call, sir. I, 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 that was a good story. I don't know. You tell me, folks, what happened to that man. Hi, Art. My cousin and her husband bought a house in a suburb of Phoenix about six years ago. They and their two kids, plus another cousin of mine, moved in right away. My cousin, who we will call Linda, found herself at home all night with only the kids. Linda's husband worked the graveyard shift, and her brother took a job in Laughlin. That would be Laughlin, Nevada. The night in question was just like any other, until her four-year-old son came into the room and woke her up. She was not facing him when he woke her up, and she did not immediately turn around. She asked him what he wanted, and he told her he couldn't sleep because somebody was in his room. She told him, of course there is. You share your room with your brother. He told her it's not his brother. It's some guy he doesn't know. At this point, she turned around to look at him, and when she did, she saw a man standing behind her son. She described him as wearing a plaid cowboy shirt, blue jeans, and a cowboy hat. She said she could see right through him to the doorway behind she said that he was white, kind of glowing. She said, a lot like you see in the movies. She immediately jumped out of bed and he was gone. She grabbed both of her sons and went to her mother's house. Her brother claimed to have seen him about two weeks later. Much more than I can tell here. Great show. We've got our candles burning. Gary and Sandy at KFYI in Phoenix. First time caller line. You're on the air. Yeah, hi, Art. That last story was really good. Uh, I got a Ouija board story for you. Uh, oh, Ouija boards. You don't like them? Uh, I have no comment. Go, go ahead with your okay. story. Uh, this story was told to me by my friend Ryan uh, in the utmost seriousness, and um, it literally made my heart skip a beat. Uh, it was told to me uh, about when he was 16, and he has an older brother who was about 21 at the time. And uh, their parents were gone for the weekend. And so his older brother had a couple friends come over, and they decided they were going to do the Ouija board thing. So they put a Ouija board down, and they played with it a little bit. And they decided that they were going to let uh, people do it alone. Okay, one person do it at a time. And in this group of friends, there was a couple, you know, jokers that used to mess around. And there was one guy that they knew was always honest. And right. So they, they put him on the on the board. All right, and so they put him on the board, and my friend was in the corner just kind of watching. Now, uh, a couple years earlier, about two or three years earlier, their grandfather had been in a terrible car accident, 
His name was uh, Barry, okay? Now, he had been in a car accident and was in a coma, and he had been in a coma since. And they didn't predict that he was going to come out of this coma anytime soon. And you know how those kind of comas are, and it just keeps going and going and going. Sure. So his older brother decides to call and see if he can find Barry. And his friend, who had never met Barry, was on the Ouija board alone, and it was not moving. And he starts saying, Barry, Grandpa Barry, are you around? Are you with us? Grandpa Barry, are you around? Are you with us? All of a sudden, the Ouija board starts moving a little bit. And what my friend told me is that they just felt the biggest chill come into the room. And a real slight little wind was kind of blowing through the room, very slight. And everyone was just getting goosebumps and looking at each other like they knew something was going on. Something was there. Yeah. And so it starts spelling out things. They say, they say are you Grandpa Barry? And it says, yes. And the guy has his eyes shut, who's alone on the Ouija board. All right, his eyes are shut. And it starts going around, and it starts spelling out, I'm scared, I'm scared, I'm scared. It's cold, it's cold, it's dark, okay? And it kept saying that for about five, maybe a couple minutes, I'm scared, it's dark, I'm cold. And they were just freaking out, I mean, looking at each other, and they, they were just about to grab their friend. Their friend started sweating. It was on the Ouija board. He was sweating, and his fingers were shaking on the thing. Yes. And then all of a sudden, it just started going real quick, and it said, keep praying, keep praying, keep praying, keep praying, until it was too fast that he couldn't even keep his hands on it. And they grabbed, his, they grabbed their friend, and, uh, and when he opened his eyes, he had no idea of what happened. He, just, he was almost in a kind of a shock. And my friend told me that I was one of the only people that he had told that story to because it scared him so much. I can understand. I appreciate the story, sir. Thank you. And that is the Ouija board, and I think that Ouija boards are nothing to play with. I think that when you use a Ouija board, you invite uh, the possibility of a real danger. That uh, when you, And I don't even know that it is specifically the Ouija board. It's just that you have put yourself in such a receptive mood uh, and such a non-specifically receptive mood that anything may show up. Ouija boards, mirrors, things that put you in a receptive mood, I think you do with your at your own risk. I mean that. Hi, Art. The following is more a premonition than a ghost story, but very strange and very true. In 1974, my husband's baby brother, 27 years old, had gone to visit some of his friends who owned a bar in Biloxi, Mississippi. He didn't drink. Just liked to hang out with friends. A young woman walked into the bar. She'd been roller skating and had fallen. She was about three months pregnant and was having some discomfort. Her husband was in the military overseas. My brother-in-law did not know this woman but offered to drive her home, and she accepted. On the way, they were hit by a drunk driver and killed instantly. Later that day, my mother-in-law walked into his bedroom, lying on his dresser in plain sight were his life insurance papers, instructions explaining how to distribute his personal effects, detailed instructions explaining how he wanted to be buried, and a list of people to contact in case of death. Art, I realize it sounds strange, but it's the truth. Linda in Medieri, Louisiana. On the toll-free line, you're on the air. Hello. 
Hi, Art. This is Farrell. I'm calling from Columbia, Missouri. Yes, sir. Um, uh, when I was probably 15, this is about your ghost story things, obviously. Um, my parents built a brand new, uh, brand new house in southeast Missouri in a town called Dexter. And um, um, it was a completely brand new house, landscaping from the top to bottom. And uh, after the house was built, we proceeded to do the landscaping. And as we were digging uh, in the backyard for uh, rose uh, gardens and uh, flower gardens and things of that nature, we kept digging up all these uh, horseshoes and uh, all these uh, bits of pieces of machinery. So my father asked some people in town, um, you know, exactly um, if they knew what the history of the area that we lived in was. And uh, we discovered that the, the home site that our house was built upon uh, was previously um, an old farmhouse, um, uh, circa uh, 1890, 1900, something to that effect. Mm -hmm. So um, one day we were back there uh, helping my father um, dig uh, some rose gardens, and um, I unearthed a piece of a, um, it actually was the, uh, the handle of uh, what appeared to be a teacup. And I didn't think much of it. So I threw it over to the side, and I kept digging, and um, and I kept uh, digging up all these different pieces. So eventually, um, I, I I discovered that I had a, a, a multitude of these pieces. So I I put them all together and washed them off, and and I I virtually had an entire teacup, and I uh, washed them off, glued them together, and um, it was it 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 was a very fine piece of porcelain china, um, uh, had a, a nice floral pattern, et cetera. So I took it in the house. I thought, well, this is kind of neat, you know, as, as kind of a, an artifact, or so to speak. Sure. That night, my parents went um, into town to uh, pick up some uh, lighting fixtures, and I, I, I stayed at home, and I heard voices upstairs for the first time. I, we, we'd probably been in the house for probably three or maybe three or four months. I heard voices upstairs, and they weren't in, in any way intimidating, but it, it was as if, uh, you know, people were conversing about uh, the events of the day or what have you and um you know laughing uh you know as 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 people would do you know kind of it was just just very very you know nonchalant and um and i thought my parents were home so i i, I hollered upstairs hey you know is anybody anybody home and and the voices stopped and and, and uh, i immediately thought well my goodness my my mind must be playing tricks on me so um 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 just went on with whatever i was doing and i kept hearing the voices and this went on um, several times during the night, and, and I uh, just was, after a while, I was terrified. Um, I had a, I, I finally got my dad's shotgun out, and uh, I, was, I was literally screaming upstairs, um, thinking that we had intruders in the house. And my parents eventually got home, and, um, of course, uh, there was nobody in the house. This went on for uh, weeks and weeks and weeks, and finally... Um, for some reason, I, it's been, I'm 35 now, it's been so long ago, I don't know how I finally deduced uh, that it had any correlation with the teacup, but I finally took that teacup and I threw it away because I thought that it had something to do with those voices, and never again did I hear the voices, ever. All right, I appreciate the story. Um, it is interesting that sometimes things are haunted. Places or things. And you must be careful about what you bring into your home. I had a, uh, a real experience with a Ouija board, and I'm not really going to go into it right now because it actually scared me. 
But I, I do tell you, be careful what you bring into your home. On our wild card line, you're on the air. Good morning. Hello, Art. This is uh, Aaron in Edmonds, Washington. Edmonds, Washington. Yes, yeah, sir. Country. I got a, I got a couple of uh, what could be ghost stories. Um, I remember uh, one time when me and my brother, we were, uh, we were just little kids, and uh, we shared a room. And it was on the second floor of our house mm-hmm. back in Minnesota. And uh, we had to go to bed early. And uh, we didn't like going to bed early, so we used to sit up on our windowsill and, you know, just look outside. Sure. Well, uh, well, one night when we were up there sitting on our windowsill, we both got a spanking. And we turned around, and there was nobody there. Nobody at all. Wait a minute! You both got a spanking. Yeah, we from were, from an unseen force. From un, nothing was there. The door was shut to the room, and uh, and we both looked at each other and got went to bed. <laughs> and uh, it, you know, I still remember it like it was yesterday. Well, I mean, what happened? Did somebody turn you over and spank you, or did... no? Since, you know, our our backs were toward the wall. You know, I mean, you know, we were looking out the window and all. And since we were since we were pretty it. little, you know, we I've were able to yeah, feel I'm... on the windowsill. Uh-huh. And uh, we both got one swat apiece, you know, and, you, and and we both could hear it. And we both turned around, you know, almost instantly, and there was nothing there. Nothing at all. Well, uh, if there was more discipline like that or any other, I guess America would be a better place today, huh? Okay. I got one more, too. Yes, sir. And this is... My uh, my sister, she lived on the second floor. She lived across the hall from us on the second floor. One night she woke up and she was crying, and my mom went in there, and my sister was telling my mom that there was somebody looking at her through the window. Well, my mom went outside, and there was no ladders there or anything. There's no trees for anyone to climb up on or anything like that, but my sister swears there was somebody looking at her through her window on the second floor. I appreciate the story, sir. Again, a presence. How many of you have ever felt a presence that you could not explain? Maybe not a full ghost story. Maybe not some of the poltergeists and things that you've heard about so far this morning. Things moving through the air, that sort of thing. But a presence. How many times in your life have you felt a presence, yet there was none? Hmm? You dismiss it, don't you? as a bit of undigested baloney or <laughs> something else, and you dismiss it. It's easier to dismiss because the alternative is a little frightening. Well, I believe that sometimes, even many times, those feelings of a presence are real. On the toll-free line, you're on the air. Good morning. Where are you calling from, please? Good morning, Art. This is Tony in Denver. Denver, yes. With uh, I'm on WOAI this evening. Okay, glad you made it. And uh, I have two stories for you. One is ongoing, and one happened six years ago. All right. Uh, six years ago, my grandmother passed away, and we took her back to her hometown. And after her funeral, we went to the farm that my uncle takes care of now and uh, has been his for many years. And I kind of wanted to get away from everybody for a while. Sure. So I started walking down the country road that I walked on for years and years and years. And uh, I had harnessed my guide dog and took him with me. And I realized I had gone further than I normally did. 
And so I started following the edge of the road so I could make sure I made the right turn to go back down the driveway. Otherwise, you pass it and you, you, know, you never know where you're going to end up. <laughs> That's right. So I, I started following the road back, and I felt that I had gone off the road because I hit a dip. And I started to send my dog back to the left to go, you know, back onto the other part of the road. Right, correct. And I could feel a... Well, it felt like something warm and light next to my dog on the other side. He would not go back that way. Not good. And he kept easing me around the corner. I wasn't threatened by it, mm. but it did shake me up. And as I turned the corner, I could hear kind of this thing of something like, and you always told me you weren't afraid of the dark. Oh, really? To this day, I am convinced it was my grandmother standing at the corner of her road, making sure I made the turn back. Hmm. And uh, a few months after that, I told my mom about it. She <laughs> she went, yeah, Grandma would do that. She always watched out for you. Mm-hmm. The other one... Well, they tell us, uh, there's about to be another network story, incidentally, on angels, guardian angels. There's a lot of stories lately about that. And um, the, in, in those shows, you will see a lot of examples of relatives who are gone and yet act as guardian angels for those who remain. Oh, I wouldn't be surprised. In the ongoing one that's going on, I live in a house that has a spirit. Uh, she is non-threatening. Um, I first found out about her, oh, about six months after we moved in. I kept hearing things and thinking it was our cat or, you know, my dog going down the stairs or something. And I walked upstairs one day, and my daughter is talking in her room. And I went, at Katie, who are you talking to? Yes. And she said, there's a man in the corner. And she described my grandfather, which would have been her great-grandfather. Yeah. Uh, we found that out when I put up a picture of him and my grandmother in the front room. And she said, that's the man I talk to every day. So that would fit into your guardian angels. But the lady who lives here in this house built it. And... I used to think with all these people walking up and down the stairs that it was just me hearing things. And I asked my brother about it because he had had the house before me, and he said, you're lucky, that's all you find. I used to see the doors move. <laughs> I wouldn't like that. She's never, she's never threatened me. Every evening at 10 o'clock, she comes in the front door, and every morning about... You mean the door opens? It makes a noise that I cannot get it to make, and the keys turn in the lock. The uh -huh. door itself does not move. I see. I couldn't handle that. <laughs> I I don't think I'd handle that well at all. Now now maybe it is something you get used to, and you're about the second or third person I've talked to this morning who said, "Well, look, uh, it's ongoing, and I'm used to it, and it doesn't bother me now." But I I I don't think I could be that way. But you see, she's she's given me the impression that as long as we don't harm her house, she means no harm to me. And she did protect us from, uh, we had someone try and break in here as I was trying to come in the front door one night, and she refused to let me get the door open until uh, the people had gotten out of the back. That's quite a story. Thank you. That is a, uh, those are several, actually, guardian angel type stories. And there are a number of programs of that sort uh, yet to air. There's been a series of them. Relatives who... Um, 
I guess are able to return or who are here who are watching out for their loved ones unreasonable if there's an afterlife I don't think so in fact entirely reasonable really when you think about it a little frightening but certainly reasonable we'll be back Kingdom of Nye, toll free at 1-800-618-8255, 1-800-618-TALK. First time callers, 702-727-1222, 702-727-1222, or use the wild card line at 702-727-1295. This is Coast to Coast AM on the CBC Radio Network. If you need proof, you may not find it here. On the other hand, collectively, as you listen, to deny the intelligent, articulate stories that you're hearing seems silly. Dear Art, my grandmother Lucy used to come to my family on certain days and tell us that she had seen the lady dressed in black. That day, somebody in the family would die. She was frighteningly right. For when she saw this woman, someone in the family always died on the same day. Lucy was the only one that could see the lady in black. That's Ryan from Kogo Land. On the wild card line, you're on the air. Good morning. Hi, Art. This is Therese from Seattle. Well, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you. Um, are we on the air now? I sure hope so. Oh, okay. <laughs> I just turned off my radio. Okay. Um, I have a couple to tell you about. Go right ahead. The first one, I was about 16 years old, and I had just moved up to Seattle um, to live with my dad. I had been living with my mother, and my grandmother had been living in the home. And when I left, uh, we had been close pretty much all my life, but my teenage years, you know, how kids are. Sure. And uh, we kind of had our little disagreements and whatever. And one night, I heard someone call my name, and I woke up, and... I thought I was hearing things, and I looked at the clock, and it was 2 o'clock in the morning, and I laid back down, and I heard it again, and I looked up, and there was my grandma. And it was like she was coming down out of the ceiling. Yes. But I couldn't see anything except from the waist up, and her arms were outstretched toward me, and she said my name two or three times. Was, then, was she solid in appearance? You know, she was like a, a kind of an opaque. I wouldn't say translucent, but, you know, it, it was... It was kind of like she was airy, if that makes any sense. It but, does. Oh, yes, it does. Okay. And um, after she said my name two or three times, she just kind of vanished. And I felt at peace. I wasn't afraid. And I, I didn't really even think anything more about it than getting up to get a drink of water. It just seemed totally natural to me. And what, uh, later on that morning, when everybody was up about 9 o'clock, my mother called. And when the phone rang, I said to my brother and to my dad, That's Mom. Grandma died last night. And they... They looked at me like I was nuts. And my brother said, yeah, sure. And he picked up the phone, and it was my mother saying my grandmother had died in New Mexico at 3 o'clock in the morning. Well, wow. the time changed. It was the exact same time 
I heard my name being called. Wow. And I've always felt that that was her way of making peace. And I never felt any guilt. I just felt like she understood. And it was just kind of a neat experience. And the next one kind of has to do with an angel. Yes. Although I never saw the angel. Um, we had a big inaugural day storm here a couple years ago, and trees were blown down. And I live in an area where there's a lot of really old-growth trees and stuff, really big firs, and they don't have much of a root system, and many went down. And about three weeks after that, we had another bad windstorm, and I was so frightened. My heart was pounding and everything, and I had just read a book called Where Angels Walk. Yes. And I thought, well, I'm going to try this. You know, I believed in guardian angels as a kid. What the heck? So I just said, uh, oh, Lord, please send your angels to protect me and stop this wind, and it immediately stopped. And my daughter was on her way to school that morning. She was on the way to the bus stop. And she said, Mom, it was so weird. She said, it was blowing and everything, and all of a sudden it was just like somebody turned off the switch. So I knew it wasn't my imagination. So that's just a couple of incidents. A couple happened. of very good stories, and I, I thank you. Well, thank you. I love the program. I'm listening with rapt attention. i got all my lights on, though. <laughs> good for you. Uh, th thank you. I, I mean, if you any, anybody with guts will turn off the lights. Turn them down. Better yet, light a candle. Of course, the only trouble with that is that when you do, you provide an inviting atmosphere. Don't you know that? I think many times people provide the atmosphere that allows... I really don't know what I'm talking about, uh, uh, but I hope you understand what I'm trying to say. They provide the atmosphere that allows the entrance of whatever these things are that we're talking about. So if you dare, provide the atmosphere. On the uh, toll-free line, you're on the air. Good morning. Sure. I, I thought uh, said that your newspaper newsletter came out, and I'd like to suggest that the, the title be changed to Beyond the Pale. Yeah. Well, uh, I take it that you are a skeptic. No, no, no. Even though it does have a little bit of uh, 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 criticism of the contents, it also means that it's beyond the mediocre pack. Well, I hope so. Uh, I think so. What we're doing is, I admit, uh, you know, I admit readily a little different. A lot of the content in the newsletter is going to be very standard stuff, but a lot of it also will reflect what we do. What do you mean by what you do? Well, from time to time on this program, as evidenced by this morning's show and others like it that we do, we just sort of leave the beaten path and um, begin to talk about things that, frankly, a lot of others don't. Or if they if they do, they don't talk about it seriously. Uh, well, okay, I, I just thought that the After Dark was used by two other people and you'd lose uh, the, uh, what's it called, the... Uh, the first impression. Well, After Dark, though, um, indeed describes the time that we do what we do, sir. Uh, thank you very much for the call. After Dark describes the time that we function in, doesn't it? Hello, Mr. Bell. One of my favorite uncles was my Uncle Lester, one of my father's brothers. We enjoy each other's company, did to a great degree. He loved to tell his war stories, and I was the only one in the family who ever seemed to never tire of them. We would always greet each other by sneaking up, <laughs> I know about that, behind the other 
giving a firm tap on the shoulder while standing behind the opposite shoulder. Of course, the recipient of the tap would look to the side that the tap came from, and no one would be there. Then he'd look to the other side, and there would be the pranking party. We played this game on each other just about every evening, every meeting. Uncle Lester died in 1972 of a rare blood condition. I lost a friend. While talking to my father face-to-face -face about our recent loss, I felt a definite, firm tap on my right shoulder. I turned and expected to see my mom. She wasn't there. I turned to my left. She wasn't there. I smiled and cried. Thanks, Art. Don from St. Louis County. On the toll-free line, you're on the air. Good morning. Good morning. Is this Art? Yes, it is. Hi, am I on the air right now? I, I hope so, sir. Oh, okay. Yeah, we don't screen calls, ever. We just put people on the air. Oh, great. Um, well, I heard you earlier speak about how animals are more receptive. I believe they are. Okay. Well, uh, let me run this one past you. Okay. I was, uh, I, I had just come home from work. It was, uh, probably around 10. So it was, it was... It was dark outside. Ten o'clock at night. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, I, my room is about uh, 16 feet from the garage door, and uh, that's from the inside. And uh, I was just getting ready to go to bed, and uh, I heard something, a, a loud crash in the garage. And um, I went out there, and we had a workbench out there. Um, I, I turned on the light, and... There was my cat sitting on the workbench. It had knocked over a can of gasoline, and apparently it, it drank some. Okay. Oh, oh boy. Um, well, what happened was, it start. It, what what really got my attention was it was howling. It was just shrieking, and uh, it it started. It, it took off. It was on a on a odd course. It was making circles. I'd say around the floor. This is a joke. No. 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 Um, the, the cat, the cat was, uh, screaming at the top of its lungs, and, uh, the next thing I know, it heads straight for me, and, um, you know, I, I had no alternative, I shut the door. So, the next thing I hear is, uh, like a, a scraping along the door, and then I hear a, uh, a smack, okay, a smack on the roof, and then I heard a, a loud crash on the floor. And and that was about it. It uh, it, it really. I I wasn't I wasn't quite sure what happened until I went out later and found my cat. It uh, apparently it ran out of gas. I told you it was a joke. I've heard it. Thanks for the call. On the first time caller line, uh, you're on the air. Hi. Hi, Art. This is Bill calling from the Seattle neighborhood of Capitol Hill. Hi, Bill. Hi, I've heard a lot of really crazy, uh, fantastic tales tonight, but That's mine is right. kind of pretty much down to earth thing that maybe a first timer might understand. When I lived in, in Lawrence, Kansas, I lived in a house that was said to have been haunted, and my roommate told me about, you know, kind of strange poltergeist type episodes and things. Mm -hmm. And one night I was sitting in this large room with a bunch of friends of mine, and my one of my friends, my roommate's been without studying, and I thought he came home, and I saw him walk past the door. And I was going to, like, play a trick on him, you know, kind of pat him on the back or jump on him or something. Sure. And um, he wasn't there. 
And then uh, there's a bathroom at the end of the hall, and I thought he turned the corner in the bathroom, went in his room, and he wasn't there. And uh, hmm. after I moved out of the house, people reported, you know, people, I knew people that lived there, and they reported some really strange... Uh-oh. He just got cut off. Sorry about that, sir. We didn't do it on this end. It was on your end. Uh, Wildcard line, you're on the air. Good morning, Art. This is Ray in Sacramento. Hello, Ray. I have a short one for you. It's rather interesting. Sure. Uh, it happened to my wife. Uh, before we got married, uh, she was living in Massachusetts, and I was in Florida. And uh, she was living in the YWCM, uh, YWCA. Right. And uh, she walked into, I believe it was either the library or the sitting room, uh, a, a quiet sitting room in there. And uh, she heard a, what sounded like a rocking chair going back and forth, you know, the creaking sure. rocking chair. And she's blind, and she had her guide dog with her. And uh, she reached out. She finally got up enough nerve. She was listening to this for quite a little while, and she got up enough nerve to reach out to touch to see if the chair was, was really there. And the minute she reached out, it stopped and it was gone. Hmm. How weird. It was extremely weird. She told me this six years ago, and I still remember it. Well, these are things that stick with you, aren't they? Yeah, they are. They are. I appreciate your call, sir. Thank you. Uh, these things stick with you uh, many times for life. You don't forget them. Why? Because they suggest the possibility, or even the probability, collectively, of an afterlife. All right, listen, turning away for a moment from the ghosts. On the wild card line, you're on the air. Hi. Well, good morning, Art. This is Rick, a rebellious cab driver calling from Portland, 1190 KEX. You betcha. Uh, I'll relate a quick tale. I mean, it's not a tale, Art. It happened. On uh, June 11, 1970, I was in, attending uh, an international drama conference in Bloomington, Indiana, at the university at Indiana University. Mm -hmm. uh, it was about 10:30 that night. It was a Thursday. And there was a full moon rising. I was walking back with another member, a delegate of the Oregon uh, delegation to the convention. Uh, we had just attended the last play for that night. We were walking along some shrubbery. I remember there was a hedge and trees off to my right, and I'm talking with my friend. I look over to my right, mm -hmm. and I stopped cold in my tracks. There was a woman in the woods staring at me. <laughs> uh, she, she was absolutely out of place, Art. She was wearing white clothing, reminiscent of clothing that I would see in 1930s movie, right down to her hairstyle. Yes. I couldn't see her eyes. I glanced at her for a moment. Like I said, I stopped cold. I looked at my friend. I said, Jeff, and I turned my head back to the right, and she was gone. I couldn't figure out where she could have gone to. There was enough of a hedge there. I couldn't get over it. I felt compelled to follow this hedge around off the sidewalk, probably about 30 yards, 40 yards, off away from the sidewalk, my friend was with me. We rounded another corner. At that moment, the bushes to the right began to shake violently. There was no wind that night, Art. My friend took off running. I would, too. I found myself standing in front of a stone wall 
that was about two feet high. What I was looking into was an old cemetery that was hidden by the hedge and the shrubbery, which is actually on the campus at Indiana University. Oh, wow. Okay, I stepped over it. I walked, I don't know, Art, maybe 30 feet into the cemetery. I stopped, and I looked down the moonlight or the streetlight or whatever was illuminating it. I stopped and looked down at a headstone. I remember the woman's name was Mary. The date of death was 1936. And I looked at it, and I realized that the headstone was shattered. I looked up while I was trying to, you know, gather what this all meant. And I saw her again, probably about 20 to 25 yards away from me, moving across the cemetery from the right to the left. And this time, she just faded away. And that was about the time, I don't know, I started looking around, and I realized that all the headstones were smashed. All of them vandalized. I was consumed with this incredible fear, panic. Yes. Anyway, other members of the Oregon delegation saw me running. There's a wooded area, you know, nearby. It was probably about a half a mile away. I mean, I was just, I don't know where I was running to, Art, you know, but I was leaving. I mean, I was, I was gone. They, they ran, they caught up to me, they stopped me. No one had reported the vandalism. I believe to this very day that the woman wanted someone to see what had happened in there. Wow, what a story. Uh, and you, you swear this is a true story. Art, I can see her looking at me. That first glance to this very day, it's a snapshot that is in my mind forever. I cannot imagine that you, that you know that, that would not change your life in some way. Many well, ways, it, maybe. Yeah, of course it did, Art. I mean, I mean, there was immediate, sir, I've tangible got, evidence. I, I understand. I, I understand, sir. I've got to go. I'm at a break. Thank you very much for the call. There's another one. Kingdom of Nine and Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell. Now here again is Art. Good morning. It's a dark night out there. This is the annual Halloween program, and it's a good one. Boy, there have been some good stories. If you uh, want a copy of this program, we can make it available to you. And uh, I can understand you might want to archive this one. Uh, you can get a copy of this program by calling one 800 9174278 getting a lot of faxes already asking about that yes it is one of those that we make available and uh, they do a very good job of it too they um, uh, they exorcise all of the commercials and um, they uh, they put it on a high quality tape and get it to you quickly Indeed, the ordering process has now been speeded up, and we think you will not have trouble getting through because there are a gazillion operators standing by. So if at any point you decide you want a copy of this program or any guest program we do here, or special program of this sort, the number to call is 1-800-917-4278. 
In addition, that is the number you call if you would like to subscribe to our brand new newsletter called After Dark. Maybe we should call it Beyond the Pale After Dark. <laughs> 1-800-917-4278 with Visa and MasterCard only. On the wild card line, you're on the air. Hello. Hello, Art. This is Greg in Linwood, Washington. Hi, Greg. And I got a pretty unique story. Good. That happened to me um, when I, I was living in um, uh, in the vicinity of uh, Oakland, California. Yes. Um, I don't know. I had two really bad things happen to me that week. I lost a, a real good union job. A day later, um, a transmission went out on my truck, and Boy, I was. Isn't it the way when it rains it pours? Yeah. And there's, you know, no expecting, you know, I mean, they just shouldn't have happened, but they did. And then um, I hired this uh, this uh, old black man to help me um, uh, tear down a chimney and rebuild it. Yes. And what this house was located, uh, probably one of the oldest houses in Berkeley, and it was kind of a creepy old house to begin with. The landlord said he could never keep a tenant in there for more than a few months. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't think much of it. I worked on it once before. And anyway, um, I spent all morning. We we built a scaffold. We were very careful. I um, was taking all the precautions and just lowering bricks down to him in a bucket. Sure. And I had a brush pushed up against the bottom of my um, the base of the chimney, right close to the where the roof meets the chimney. Right. And it's one of these. Um, brushes off a push broom so it was a large wooden brush back you know like a horsehair brush yes and just out of the blue just about just before um, 12 o'clock noon that brush took off on its own started you know uh, sliding down the roof it went over the gutter and it fell 18 or more feet and it hit my um my helper in the top of the head he wasn't wearing any hat or anything. And I went down there, and I was really upset because that was the third and the worst thing to happen to me all week long. Sure. And um, later on, we worked a little bit longer, and I went home. And and I was the only one that in my family down there, and I decided I hadn't talked to my dad for about a month or so. And I called him, you know, out of just to hear a familiar voice. Yes. And he's up here in Seattle. And I says, well, I hope your week is going better than mine. And... He says, well, he says, my wife died today. And I go, oh, I go, what time? And he, he says, around noon. And um, I go, well, you know, I'll be up there, you know, in about a day or two. I'll see you when I get up there. And I found out when I got up there that um, she had uh, actually died, you know, just about that same time that my friend got hit in the head. And that a few, you know, not long after she died, um, my stepbrother's, wife gave birth to a baby girl just a few minutes after she died about you know one or two floors above her in the same hospital mm -hmm. and um you know and then i was the one that called my father and i don't know to me it was just kind of a strange time very strange thank you for the call sir well i don't know if that's exactly a ghost story but I have heard um, similar things from other people, and that is 
There are certain times in our life when, without explanation, there is one dramatic event that follows another. A series of dramatic events, connected or not connected, very dramatic, very uh, sometimes life-threatening, life-changing events, and they seem to come together. Now, what does that mean? That there is something at that moment affecting our life that... Uh, uh, that, that is uh, out of the norm, shall we say, or not. I don't know. On the wild card line, you're on the air. Uh, hello, Art. Hello. Uh, this is Mike in Phoenix. Yes, Mike. Um, this is an event that just happened a week ago Monday. All right. Uh, one of my employees came into work, and he has some weird dreams sometimes, but he came in and he says, i got to tell you about this dream. And he says, uh, um, I had this dream, that I was standing in a front yard of a house, and I was uh, filming with this old uh, video camera that my mom had given me. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was standing there, and there was a white picket fence, and there was a, an open gate. And uh, his girlfriend's... Uh, let's see, his... Oh, first of all, his, his mother came walking through the gate, and his mother had just died this past, I think it was February. Oh. And uh, then following her was his girlfriend's father, or no, grandfather. This is all in the dream. Yes, in the uh -huh. dream. Yes, all right. And, uh, and uh, he had just died this past year also. And then following behind him was... Uh, his girlfriend's grandmother. Kind of a march of the dead. Yes, and uh, he described, actually he didn't know who the last lady was because he had never seen her. Yes. And he described her to his girlfriend and she said that uh, that, was his, that was her grandmother and she was wearing a pink dress with a bow on it and she said that's what my grandmother, that's her favorite dress that she wants to be buried in. Hmm. And uh, so he told me about this dream. This was a, a week ago, Monday. And uh, two days later, on Wednesday, he, he came into work late, and uh, he says, Oh, I'm sorry that I'm late. Uh, my girlfriend's grandmother just died. Wow. Yeah, it was really weird. <laughs> really weird. Uh, yes, thank you very much. Uh, I wasn't sure where the video was fitting in all the... I guess I was just in the dream. On the toll-free line, you're on the air. Good morning, Art. Rusty in Kansas City. What's up? Hello, Rusty. Well, how's the stories going tonight so far? Well, if you've been listening, Rusty... I have, and I just got in. I see. Uh, do you have one for us? I most certainly do. Go ahead. Um, I'm 23 now, but at the time I was about 12 years old, and my family and I moved into a, uh, a house at a residential lake here in Missouri. Um, the houses there at this lake are pretty old. Um, in our basement... I don't know if it's totally relevant, but there was a lot of natural rock. I don't know if you go through the woods, you see like like ridges and stuff. Yes. Of rock. Well, that was how our, our basement was full of that. And there was actually, if you were small enough, you could get back and like go into caves and stuff in our house, hmm. in the basement. Wow. That was just the creepy part. Um, we had a few, a lot of harmless incidences happen as far as uh, leading to the basement. A door. They cut the door out of the natural wood walls. I mean, the wooden walls. They cut the door out. It wasn't a. It was made out of the wall with just hinges. No, I've got you. And uh, a lot of times it just had a little latch, and a lot of times, out of nowhere, this little latch would just flip up, and the door would open, and then minutes later, 
they would close and the latch would go back. <laughs> now, this happened several times, and we lived there for about two years, and it got to the point where we were actually used to it. Um, there were a lot of other smaller incidents. That's too. what a lot of people have said this morning, Rusty, that people uh, live in haunted houses or ha houses where these things are occurring, and it finally gets to the point where it doesn't scare them, yeah, it doesn't even really bother do. them, you just get used to it, and you live with it, and it's part of what you live with. Exactly. At the time, though, I was 12 years old, and two bedrooms were upstairs. One bedroom was downstairs. That was my room. By itself. Okay, uh, uh, th thank you very much for the call, uh, Rusty. There's another case, and isn't that interesting? Something that would scare me and turn me different colors, I'm sure, pale white, very pale white. Other people just learn to live with after a while. My cat Polo and I are, enjoy being, are enjoying being frightened by your Halloween tales. Here in Hawaii... We don't have goblins, but we do have menehunis, little people who accomplish strange things in the night. Aloha, Malia. On the first-time caller line, you're on the air. Hi. Yes, Art, how are you doing? Just this fine. Is, uh, Kevin in New Orleans. Yes, Kevin. Yes, I have uh, two quick ghost stories to tell you about. My uh, girlfriend lives in a place called Chalmette, Louisiana. Yes. And... Uh, her house was buried on uh, Chalmette Battlefield. And her uh, mother and father would always tell me about these ghost stories that they would happen in the house and everything. And I never really believed it too much, you know. So I would always make fun of it and everything. And we went and rented a bunch of ghost stories from the video store. And we're all in the living room together sure. alone. And we're watching uh, Amityville Horror. Yes. And uh, he has his stereo hooked up to his TV. Well, it wasn't on at the time, but about halfway through the movie, the stereo just blasts on out of nowhere. And, I mean, it's really loud. Right. And he jumps up, and he checks it, and he turns it off. And he just looks at me and shrugs it off like, well, you know, these things happen all the time. And I'm like, well, you know, <laughs> it never happened when I was there. You know, they always told me about it, but I've never seen anything like that happen before. New Orleans uh, and Louisiana in general strikes me as a place... Uh, that is old, ripe with a lot of tradition, and it's kind of a place where ghosts would be. Uh, yes, sir. We just had a write-up in our article in uh, our paper today about ghost stories in New Orleans, and uh seems to be a lot of uh, superstition going around, especially with the uh, old French Quarter and uh, the Battle of New Orleans and everything. A lot of old cemeteries and such. I'm sure there are. It's just the right kind of atmosphere. Thank you. And again, relating to atmosphere, folks. Even this program, as you sit this morning and listen to it, provides the kind of atmosphere that will allow things to occur. So I'm not going to be surprised, and I'm sure... You should see the stack of stories that I have. I'm never going to get through all of them today. The fax machine has just been burning up in the other room. I'm never going to get to them all. But before it's over, I guarantee I will get stories of things that have occurred during this program. And I believe the reason for that is atmosphere. Or, uh, as I used to say in the 60s, set and setting. That's kind of an old drug expression. Set and setting. We are providing the set and setting uh, for the introduction of whatever whatever it is that we're going to hear about. And I guarantee 
uh, that over the next few days, and I will catch you up on it, you will hear of things that occurred during this program, in fact, because of this program. On the first-time caller line, you're on the air. Hello. Oh, good spine-tingling morning to you, Mr. Bell. Yes, indeed. Where are you calling from? Uh, Red Desert, Wyoming, but my residence is in Oregon. Red Desert, Wyoming? Yes, it's up on Interstate 80. Okay. Um, I'm on a cellular phone, so I'm going to pull over the side of the road. Uh, I had two incidents happen to me in my life, and um, but they're both very long details, so I'll only give you one. All right. Um, we moved into a house about 13 years ago. It's a mobile home. And a um, couple after we moved in, strange things started happening, but they'd never happened when my husband was around. Hmm. Um, my jewelry had come up missing. Uh, important telephone numbers, I'd leave by the telephone. If I left the room, like, overnight or had gone to work, they would come up missing. Um, all kinds of strange things started happening, and I talked to my husband about it, and he thought I was flipping my wig. <laughs> and um, he really thought, you know, I had really lost it. had this really bad feeling of foreboding coming over um, me constantly, you know, almost like a depression type thing. I know about those, yes. And I called some people in the church, and they came out, and they would not do an exercise size on the house, but they did give it a blessing, and that did not seem to help. In fact, after the blessing, things seemed to get exaggeratedly worse, and um, one day my son came home from school, and I was at work, and um, stood there and talked to my husband for several minutes, went to his room, came back out, and my husband was gone, Yes. and that night when I came home from work, he says, Mom, where's Dad? And I said, well, I suppose he's at work. He's a long-haul truck driver. And uh, I hadn't expected him home until the weekend. And he said, Mom, Dad was here. I talked to Dad. And the first thing that came over to my mind was, oh, my God, he's been killed in a wreck because yes. you've heard stories of you know family coming back. All night long. And so I immediately called his work. And no, he hadn't been in an accident. They hadn't heard from him. And everything seemed to be fine. Good. So that night, you know, I was just on pins and needles. That night, my husband called home, and I was just relieved. You know, you're okay, and I told him what happened, and he said, well, both of you are losing it. <laughs> well, we had gone over to our neighbor's house, and things were really weird going on in the house. I'd be standing at the stove and watch people walk through my living room. I'd be standing at the kitchen sink, and I'd watch people walk through my living room. What kind of people? Solid? Uh... No, no, apparitions. Apparitions. Yeah, just, you know, very faint, very light people walking through. Yes. And things, you know, like I said, things continue to disappear, things we've never been able to find since either. Um, so we talked to my neighbors, and they'd lived there, you know, many more years than we had. Um and they said, well, you know, this is the old Barlow Trail, which, you know, where we live. And I said, well, yes, I understand, which is the shortcut off of the Oregon Trail going to uh, Salem, Oregon, instead of taking the Oregon Trail on into Oregon City. Yes. And I said, yeah, I realize that. And they said, well, you do realize that when a group of settlers would stop and camp, there was a group that stopped here where we are. Mm -hmm. And I said, no, I didn't know this. 
<laughs> and a renegade band of Indians had come in and massacred the people. Oh, there we go. And I said, oh, well, this is wonderful. Why didn't we know about this before we moved in? And so our neighbors continued to tell us that in their back bedroom, where her daughter used to stay when she was living at home, at sometimes during the night, they could hear this moaning, crying sound. And one night, Richard was up. He'd come home from work, and he was up. And had gone back, he heard the moaning and the crying, and the girl was trying to open the door. And he was on the outside trying to open the door. And as long as the moaning was going on, they couldn't get the door open. Wow. But when the moaning quit, the door just opened, you know, almost through both of them, through the wall, because it just opened so fast. And so we got to, you know, really... My husband didn't believe all this, so they told him again what their experience has been. This happened several times. Okay, we've got to hurry here. Okay. So one night, we, my husband was home on the weekend, we'd gone to bed. And I used to pry the doors shut so they wouldn't open, because I'd come home and find doors open, kitchen cabinets open, refrigerator open, dishwasher running. And um, we went to bed, turned out the light, and just, you know, bam, the back door flew open. And we got up, got our guns, got up, went to the back door, nothing there. Never had any problems with them since. <laughs> Weird story. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you for relating that and calling us. Thank you very much for taking it. <laughs> Take care. Uh, one of the photographs in the newsletter, not the one I told you about earlier, taken by the stonemason, but the second ghost photograph that's being published in the newsletter. Uh, I hope it comes out well. It is um, one that was taken in Louisiana. It was taken uh, near a farm in Louisiana. And there are, it's hard to count, but perhaps as many as ten apparitions that are in various stage, stages of um, visibility. Some of them you can see right through them. Some of them uh, are almost completely solid. And they are dressed in what appears to be period costume, perhaps from the 1800s, and this has impressed me for a long time as well, so this is also published in the newsletter. You tell me what you make of it. On the toll-free line, you're on the air. Hello, Art. How are you doing? Just fine, sir. Yeah, there were two uh, stories, ghost stories, I wanted to tell, and one concerns my mother, and the other concerns my Aunt Rita. All right. Now, uh... Aunt Rita is uh, my aunt that died 27 hours after birth. And uh, what happened was um, my mother had died, and uh, I received a telegram in the mail. And I called home and called home and finally found out that she had passed away. Mm -hmm. So what happened was that um, this is kind of strange. It's really a ghost story. Um, what happened was... Uh, my sister, Nancy, she is a practical nurse, and uh, when I called and found out my mother had passed away, my sister told me that the priest and the doctor that examined the body pronounced her dead and signed a death certificate, a blessed death. So Nancy, shortly after that, had a little baby girl, was about an eight-pound baby girl, yes, sir. and it was on a heart monitor. And what happened was that... Um, Nancy heard the heart monitor go off, 
And she went into the other room to run in, and right there in the archway, she was standing there, and there was this really beautiful woman. And she looked at the baby and knelt down on, at the crib and kissed the baby and looked at my sister and said, Boy, she's beautiful, and then she vanished in front of her. Oh. And what happens is my sister Nancy told my other sister that it was my mother that she could tell it was her from the pictures that she had of her years ago only she was younger. Wow. Uh, we're going to have to leave it there because I'm way out of time, but I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll split this in half, uh, and that's easy because it is in two halves, and we'll do the other half right after the news at the top of the hour. This is Ghost to Ghost AM. Kingdom of Nye. You're hearing Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell on the CBC Radio Network. Good morning. Welcome back to the program. Finishing up. Dear Art, I live in a haunted house. Would find it tough to live anywhere else. I don't bother them. They don't bother me. It's kind of like having roommates. The worst thing about them is they scare the bejesus out of anybody that encounters them for the first time. It's kind of laughable. You can uh, tell any number of people about these entities or things, but until they run into them face to face, I find they have very little to talk about. It's much more interesting to ask someone in and let them work on their own versions of their story. Needless to say, the conversation livens. Cold spots are entities. As I understand it, they take the energy at hand, heat, light, EMF, and use it to create themselves or whatever, and uh, that is uh, the drawing that creates the coldness. Some of the other effects that people perceive, I've been told, that basically fear is a rush of energy and can move things to other levels, not always desirable. Some entities feed upon those fears like an addiction, taking more and more. Draw your own conclusions. Mike in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Wildcard Line, you're on the air. Hello. Oh, good morning, Mr. Art. Hello. Yeah, this is Ruthie from Renton. Ruthie from Renton. All right, Ruthie, welcome. Yeah. Well, uh, starting with, with the guardian angel, when I was four years old, my brother was 16, and he kept saying, like, February of that year, that he was going to go somewhere and never return. And my father used to say, well, don't forget your bike. And he says, I won't need my bike. And he says, and a year later, my friend Walter will go. And so in June of that year... He drowned, and a year later, his friend Walter had died, too. But uh, right now, I'm a widow, and my husband's with me. And he'll come, he'll massage my feet. I'll hear uh, glass being cut in the corner, and nothing will be there. Wow. But uh, one night, I got home from work at 1230, and I had to be at work again at 7 a.m., and I couldn't sleep. 
And all of a sudden, I heard a loud noise coming down the hall, and it came about halfway down, and then it was quiet. And then I felt like a size of a half a dollar pressure on my forehead, yes. and I was out like a light. He put me to sleep. Wow. Yeah. What a story. And now <laughs> I sleep with a flashlight on my pillow in case I hear anything like that again. Because <laughs> I don't want to be put to sleep. <laughs> I, I understand, but I wonder if you also would want to see what the flashlight would reveal. Yeah, uh-huh, if yeah. anything. That's it. Thank you for the call. Uh-huh. Take care. You know, how do you digest this? How do you digest the fact that so many intelligent, otherwise very normal people would tell these stories? Mass hallucination? Doubtful. What is it? Why would so many people tell these stories if there was not something to it? Well, aren't they just want it to be true? Hallucination? Mm, I don't think so. On the first-time caller line, you're on the air. Hello? Good evening. Good evening. Uh, it's Mike in uh, Chico, California, KPAY. Hi, Mike. Um, yeah, I have a really interesting story. Um, back in 1973, I was enlisted in the Air Force that was working for a uh, SAC detachment um, out of Mississippi, and I happened to be on a gate shack that evening. It was. Uh, I looked at my watch. It was right around 3.05, and uh, I happened to look out the window of the shack, and I saw uh, a man standing there in an Air Force uniform. Uh, he had a captain's uh, insignia bars on his shoulders, and he was standing there with his helmet underneath his arm and his head inside the helmet, and he looked at me, and he said, Where's my airplane, and where's my crew chief? Yes. And I kind of closed my eyes, and I opened him up again, and he was gone. And so the next morning when I walked back into uh, the control room, I happened to be going through, uh, they have kind of like a library of flights that have been in and out of different places. And uh, Absolutely. And uh, I remember the name on his uniform. It was, uh, it was Captain Brown. And uh, I was looking through um, some documents of different flights, and I noticed uh, a B-52 that had left... Um, this particular base at 3.05 in the morning, and it crashed seven minutes later. Oh, my. And the name of uh, uh, captain the captain Brown. that flew the aircraft was Captain Brown. Of course. Oh, boy. That's kind of an interesting That's story. quite a story, yes. Oh, yeah. All right, sir, thank you uh, very much for the call. Even in the military. These stories come from across the board. Dear Art, I have a ghost story I'd like to share with your listeners. My grandmother had lived with my family for over 10 years. At age 84, was very much in control of her mental faculties. In January of 72, she passed away several months following a massive stroke. In her last days, she lost lucidity and would frequently cry out that she was dead, breaking down into mournful sobbing. Two nights after Grandma's funeral, my brother and I sat awake in our beds rehashing the day's events as was customary for us before falling off to sleep. From my grandmother's now vacant room there came a knocking noise, the familiar creak of her closet door. Spellbound we strained for the slightest sound. 
A minute later, the unmistakable sound of my grandmother's slippered feet shuffling on the tiled floor grew louder as they approached the threshold of our opened door from the adjoining hallway. We were completely speechless. I'm sure my facial expression matched my brother's pop-eyed look. The next night, a short time after I'd fallen to sleep, my brother called out my name. He excitedly asked me, Did you hear that? Listen. Again, the familiar foot shuffle of Grandma came from the living room and hallway outside our room. That was the last occasion of our supernatural experience, but the rec recollection is still clear to both my brother and I. I believe our experience made us both far less skeptical of other ghostly tales. That's a story from Chris in Wasilla, Alaska. On the toll-free line, you're on the air. Hi. Uh, Art? Yes. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing fine, sir. Um, this is Ben out of Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Yes, sir. And, um, I was just listening to some of the stories here, and, man, bone-chilling. Um, I got two really quick stories for you. Fire away. Um, but in about... 1979 or 1980, I, uh, we were living in Illinois, uh, my mom, with my brother and myself, um, she just got a recent divorce and we were living in a little apartment and, uh, she had a truck driver friend over and, uh, big guy, huge guy, 320 pounds. Yes. Um, the place was a little haunted. It was a little weird sometimes. We just didn't know sometimes why or what. Um, my brother and myself left the apartment. Um, it was early evening, and uh, my mom and this guy was in the living room just with the... Okay, we've got to hurry along here. All right, with a candle, and... Uh, they heard someone running in the hallway, trip and fall down. And this guy jumped up and he says, hey, you okay? And uh, there was no one there. Weird. No one there at all. We don't know anything about that, you know? Weird, sir. Yeah. Yep. All the time. Well, okay, we'll have to hold it there. We're out of time. I'm sorry. Um, and I've got to move on. We're so short on time. On the wild card line, you're on the air. Hi, Art. This is John from San Diego. Hi, John. Yeah, I got a, a story for you. Um, I used to work at a custodian at a movie theater mm -hmm. where they show uh, six uh, movie in one building. Yes. Well, one day one of our uh, projection guy passed away, had a heart attack, you know. Mm -hmm. And, well, a couple of days later, all the employees were talking about some strange things happening in the theaters, like lights flickering off and on, doors slamming, uh, ice machine uh, falling apart or something like that. Hmm. And, uh, well, um, within that week, we were working, and the uh, assistant manager came up to us, and he was asking us if we called him, and we said no. We didn't, we didn't call him at all. And he said he heard uh, someone calling his name, and uh, we said it wasn't us because we were too busy working in one of the theaters, cleaning up the theater. Right. And, um, well, even uh, within that week still, uh, five of us decided to uh, find out what was going on. So we, we brought a, a tape recorder and set it in one of the theaters. 
and left that theater and shut the light off. Right. And we went in the other theater to clean for a while and took took us about an hour to clean. And went back to that theater to pick up the tape recorder, went outside and listened to it, and we heard the the chair go down and spring right back up by itself. Huh. And that was strange. And when we went back inside the theater, we heard this faint music, real faint music. And we looked all over the, the room and, 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 and the building, and we came to the projection doorway. We could hear the music faintly. Yes. And, uh, well, we thought it was uh, somebody with a timer radio. That was go- uh, that turn on by itself. Yes. Mm-hmm. And um, we checked with the projection guy, and he said they didn't have no radio like that in the projection room. That was the strangest part because a lot of other things happened in there. Well, I- I'll tell you, sir. Thank you. Um, what I what I get out of that, or what I guess I would like to ask the audience about, and I don't understand a lot about entities or why things are haunted, but. People seem to stay in the rough same uh, physical location that they die in. And I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what that tells us. Does that mean that a spirit or entity trapped on earth is trapped? in, Or, or maybe even uh, trapped is not even the right word, but is present in the, in the exact physical location uh, where it lost its life? I mean, it's, it's such a uh, recurring theme... Uh, that you've got to wonder about that. Art, at one time, I lived in a very old apartment building in Bothell, Washington. One day it became apparent to me that a dog was sharing the apartment with my roommate, Joe, and I. The sound of little toenails in the kitchen, panting, scratching, signs of lapdog accidents, like plants being knocked over and little puddles appearing mysteriously. Uh, They happened at uh, regular intervals. Um, The one big problem is that we don't have a dog, you see. I eventually brought this up with Joe over a beer after work. Joe shot up and said, yeah, a little white one. To which I said, you've seen it? He said, well, no, it's just the impression I got. After some comparison of our experiences, we came to the conclusion that it was a ghost dog and that he was our pet. Of course, our friends got a good laugh at our expense during the weekly card game, but they stopped the teasing when everyone at the card table heard the dog as it walked up, panted a little, wagged its tail against our ankles. Joe and I reacted by reaching down to pet the dog simultaneously. Of course, there was no dog there. Later, we learned that a little white dog lived there and had been run over by a car. On the wild card line, you're on the air. Hi, Art. Um, this Hello. Is Dark, Dark Man? Yes. Seattle. Yes. Uh, I've got a story that took place when I was in fifth grade, around 1966. Yes. And, uh, well, my, my stepfather, uh, his name is Jim, uh, was, uh, he's a spelunker. You know what that is? Yes. Okay, well, he decided he wanted to take me around investigating caves, uh, one weekend, and, um, I've never liked caves since then. Uh, the Oregon caves were, that, that was kind of nice. But what, 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 ended up, what ended up happening was every cave he went into, he wanted to go as far back as he could go. 
Of course. And, yeah, well, that was fine until we got to the Oregon Wind Caves. And I got to the, the entrance of the cave. There were some scouts. Um, this is kind of freaking me out to remember it. Um, and it's kind of late, too. I've <laughs> got all the lights out, as you've requested. And um, th- these scouts were kind of getting ready to go in. And I told Jim, I said, look, I don't want to go into this one. I, I can't do it. And he got angry with me because he really wanted to go to the back of this one because it wasn't that deep. Right. Take about an hour and a half or something like that to get to the back of it. It was about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and um, he figured that we could get in and get out before it got too dark. Well, I said, no, I'm not going to do it. I can't do it. This is too scary for me. He says, well, fine. Then let's go up here. There's this hole. I want you to take a picture of me down looking up at you from, you know, the top of this hole. This sure. is where the wind blows up, and this is how the, the caves get their name. Sure. Well, okay, well, I took the picture of him down there, and he was waving, and I heard this sound. And it did not, Art, it didn't sound human, okay? It, it sounded, it didn't, it didn't sound like wind, it didn't sound human. It was too weird for my, you know, fifth grader mind to comprehend. I just thought that this was just kind of a sign, don't go in there. So I told him, look, I can't, Jim, I cannot go in there. Something is wrong. Well, these scouts went in there, and uh, we left. Okay, well, the next day, and Jim never really got, he was rather angry with me for the, for the whole thing. And, and uh, the next day, Mom came out, and I was out raking the leaves, and she says, what happened yesterday? Mm-hmm. And I said, well, what do you mean? She goes, well, because Jim just, we, we heard a report on the radio about a woman that was killed, and he... Uh, well, there's a woman that was killed, and she was taken out, and apparently she was left in the in, in this cave. And I just went dead inside. And I asked him about it later, and he said, "Well, it's it's no nothing. Forget about it." Well, I asked mom about it later. I said, "What what what, what did you hear on the radio?" Okay, we've got to rush to a okay, conclusion. Okay, I'll make it very quick. There was a woman that was killed in in Salem, Oregon. Her body was taken to the back of the wind caves. She was found by a scouting troop that entered the caves around 3 o'clock in the afternoon on the Sunday that I was there with Jim. They entered just after we left. Basically, that's the end of the story. It's just. Well, I was going to ask you what came out on the film. What came out on the what? Film? The picture, film? The picture you took? Oh, just Jim, smiling up at me from the hole. <laughs> All right, nobody else smiling up. All right, Art? Boo! Happy Halloween from Kinko's Portland, the Graveyard Crew. <laughs> um, and I got a, I've got a lot of similar greetings, and I've got stacks now of ghost stories that I'm never going to have time uh, to um, tell you all about. From Linda in New Orleans, Art, thanks for a great show. Maybe next year you could call the show Things That Go Perump in the Night. <laughs> Wildcard line, you're on the air. Hello. Art. Yes. Oh, this is uh, Lucky out of Seattle. Yes, hi, Lucky. Uh, I don't know if this is a ghost story or not, but... Um... Well, that's all we're taking, so it better be. <laughs> well, uh, what it is here is, is uh, uh, my father uh, left when I was about two years old, and, and uh, I'd never known his whereabouts, and up until uh, oh, about a year ago, 
um, I'd never known. Well, anyway, uh, I'd had a phone number. Uh, I'm a descendant from an Indian family, and I'd had a phone number on how to get a hold of him. Right. And, uh, well, what we did was I had this phone number probably for two years. One morning I woke up and uh, just just out of the blue just called. And it was to a tribal office in South Dakota. Uh, anyway, I'd called, and this gentleman had told me that he thought that uh, my father was deceased. And uh, after further review, he had called me back, and uh, he said that he had uh, deceased. But uh, uh, the, the thing that was weird about it was he told me that, uh, and I never knew this, that March 31st was my father's birthday. And that was the day that I had called him. Wow. And Well, I, that's either ESP or it's a good ghost story. Thanks for the call. the kingdom of nye this is coast to coast am with art bell on the cbc radio network good morning it is saturday morning on halloween weekend or monday morning depending on when you're hearing this program but in a lot of ways it doesn't matter what day it is it's ageless isn't it these are ghost stories real ones from real people all of you scarier than uh, any sort of guest I could put on because it's coming from all of you and it's real that's what it's all about that's what this program is all about and we now continue on the toll-free line you're on the air good morning hi Art it's Kim from Olympia hi Kim um my ghost story kind of pales in comparison to some of them I heard tonight but my bedroom I have a bed my TV's at the foot of my bed, and I have a big bird on an open perch. It's a blue and gold macaw. Right. And my roof always leaked just in this one little place. And so we finally got tired of messing with it. We put plastic over the hole, sure. over where it leaked at. Well, sure. And it's always been a familiar sound hearing my husband walking around back and forth that they're working on it. Well, one night, he was down at his shop working, and I was in bed watching some good trash TV. And I heard him go up there, and I figured, well, he's just fixing the plastic. You know, it had blown off or something. It's really late at night. And uh, I waited through three commercial breaks because I was all cozy and didn't want to get out of bed. And I finally, my bird kept getting upset. Whenever I get in bed, he goes to bed. <laughs> and my bird kept pacing back and forth. And he kept pacing back and forth. And I thought, daggum, it, it's, you know, bothering him. And pretty soon he started, he goes, rock, makes a really loud sound. I go, he's going to wake my kids up. So I got out of bed to go yell at my husband. And right when I got to the door to open it, my husband opened the door and the walking stopped. Oh. Yeah. That's my ghost story. What do you think it was? My husband said, see, it's general knowledge in my family that I'm chicken. I'm afraid of everything. I don't do ghosts. And he said that if it was... It may have been someone close to us who passed on that wanted to make contact but not make me afraid. 
you know, it was something that I was very familiar hearing because it sounded just like my husband up there walking. I've heard it for years. Thank you for the call. Uh-huh, bye-bye. Take care. I, um, I can imagine it would be so if there is an afterlife, and I am convinced there is, then there would be nothing that anybody would want to do more than to contact, to comfort, or to somehow link with the loved one they left behind. So I don't find it strange that we get these sorts of stories. I would be surprised if they were any other sort of story. It's always a link to, it seems a link to somebody that has known the person who was alive, or... Uh, many times it appears to be a guardian angel kind of story. And occasionally uh, the story of a spirit that has died under very troubling conditions, a very violent, unexpected death, that sort of thing. Toll-free line, you're on the air. Hi. Good morning. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, this happened to me or when I was in, in uh, Europe about 10 years ago, and both my parents are archaeologists, and they had been digging at a Gallo-Roman dig on the Luxembourg-Belgian border yes, for about three years. Mm-hmm. And we always stayed at a house that was sort of on a, a low, bald mountain, forested. Two villages were nearby, Petange on the Luxembourg side and Rodingen on the Belgian side, and the dig was nearby, the Tilburg. And we always had a crew of student diggers that would dig with us. And one year we were having a dinner. It was nearing the end of the season, the summer season when we were digging there. And we had a dinner and all the students were there and stuff. And it was kind of a drizzly, semi-foggy night. And it was getting sort of late in the evening. And and, uh, we were getting ready to go to bed, my brother and I, because we were pretty young. We were around 10 or so. And uh, one of the girls that was a student digger went out on the porch. And she was out there for about five minutes, and she came back in. And I remember, because we were just getting ready to go to bed, and she really looked just horribly scared and was, like, trembling and so forth. And she said that she had seen some kind of weird hippie guy across the road just at the tree line going south from, again, where we were staying. Mm-hmm. And it kind of freaked everybody out, but, you know, we thought, oh, it's just some weird guy that had wandered up from, from Petange, which was maybe like a mile and a half, two miles away down the, the small mountain. Anyway, we didn't think that much about it, but, you know, anyway, we still addressed the issue in the town later on. We asked, you know, the grocer and stuff, you know, what, why would someone be up there? And there weren't any people in this town. This was in, like, the early 70s and in kind of a rural area there. There weren't any people that really would likely fit that kind of description because she said it was like this really wild-looking hippie guy that was just standing there staring at her. And, uh, and then we heard the story that during World War II, when the Nazis had occupied this area, that there was a guy who had lost his wife in the, the occupation and had gone crazy and had run off to live in the woods. And he had, you know, whatever, lived roughly and stuff, and he'd become her suit and so forth. And um, anyway, he had been hunted down and killed by the Nazis, you know, for whatever reason. They didn't want this kind of thing going on or something. And we, no one, at least admittedly, had heard this story before this time. And this, you know, really scared us. And this guy was called the Red Man of Rodingen, and he was from the, the Belgian town that was, huh. you know, some eight... 10 miles away, actually, on the other side. But this girl, and it freaked us all out, and, and we were like, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, you know, my brother and I, of course, it's haunted, it's haunted, this, the whole area. And uh, this girl got so freaked out by it that I remember she ended up going home early 
And to this day, I can just remember just the, this mood that was after after this happened. This mood that was that was on the dig, and there was only like oh two weeks left in that season. But she went home like that week because it had freaked her out. So yeah, well, bad. those are those are kind of uh, freaky circumstances anyway. I mean, any dig, anything uh, old like that in such a, an exotic location to have that happen, I could understand it would go to work on your mind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It was quite a quite an experience. I remember it to this day. Appreciate the story, sir. Thank All right. you. Good night. Uh, there's one from Europe. That's another thing. These stories that you're hearing are not con confined at all to this country. Our program is in Canada and Mexico, I guess. And so those are the ones we're hearing. But I guarantee you that with a serious, we're not going to laugh at you kind of approach, you could put this program on in Europe, any nation any language, and you could get the same kind of responses. Toll-free line, you're on the air. Good morning. Hi, Art. This is Kirk in Medford, Oregon. Hello, Kirk. What's, uh, what do you have for us? Well, I've had some strange things happen to me uh, in the mid-50s. We lived in a, in a house uh, in California on Garden Grove Avenue. Mm-hmm. And I was a kid of maybe about uh, 10, 11. And every, every, I had trouble, uh, like, going in the bedroom. It seems that things happened. And I, I was uncomfortable, and I, you know, I just was afraid to go in this, in this bedroom we had in this house. I didn't like it. And one night, one night, uh, my grandparents came over. And they, uh, we had dinner and such. And um, just as they were leaving, I just happened to walk by my bedroom. I was getting ready to go to bed, and I saw the curtain move. And just out of the corner of my eye, you know, and I had a bad feeling. And I looked mm -hmm. over, and I could hardly believe my eyes. And I didn't want to go. I didn't want to go in the bedroom, but but it turned out it was time to go to bed, so we did. And uh, when I went in there, uh, no sooner had I been on the bed for more than two or three minutes. Um, it seemed unreasonably dark, and I, I started to panic. And I noticed my, my window being open, I, a slight breeze coming in, and it was unreasonably cold. And with no warning, this unusual ghost-like being floated through the window. Mm. And I got the impression that it was female. I don't know why. It had uh, white hair that almost looked like straw. And I, try, I tried so hard to scream... And, and it's an odd sensation. I, I know I was awake. It, I wasn't dreaming because, you know, I was aware of... Let me uh, guess, the scream wouldn't come. Well, it, it, it did slightly. It did slightly, but I just couldn't get it out. And, and mm -hmm. this being floated toward me, and it grabbed my hand. And as I was starting to scream, and actually, you know, I was making sounds, it tied something around my finger, and then I was completely uh, immobile. It, it then kind of floated me up out of bed and by the window, and I actually floated out the window, and I got the sensation when I was floating that I was like on a magic carpet. Hmm. And I remember being floated toward a light, and I remember being poked and prodded, and I got the weirdest sensation, you know, like, like almost like a tickling sensation. I noticed a buzzing sound. And... And then I, I, I don't remember much after that. I remember being back in bed. You know what I would say to you, sir? What's that? And I don't know if it would be right or not, but I would say if you ever have the opportunity 
Get a hypnotist to regress you. What you may have experienced may not have been so much a ghost story as it is an abduction story. And that's what kind of scares me because, because I'll tell you something. Uh, several months after that, I was back in my bedroom and talk about closets. I was, I was <laughs> laying in bed. I, my little brother used to hop in bed with me, you know. We, he just, I was used to that, you know. He'd hop in bed. He got scared a few times. Sure. But one night, uh, my little brother was not in the bedroom, and I and I and it turns out that I felt something next to me, touching me all over, and it felt like claws, and it was the weirdest, most awful thing, and it pushed me in the closet, inside the closet, and the door f f uh, went shut, and that time I did mm -hmm. manage to mm -hmm. scream. My mother came in and turned the light on and found me in there, and I was shaken hysterical. All right, I appreciate the call, sir. There it is, another closet story. I suggest to you all, and you need not do it. It's your business. But if you have an open closet now, close it. I want to remind you all that our new newsletter, the inaugural edition of our newsletter, is just coming out. And if you would like to get it, a subscription to the newsletter, it'll be 16 pages long, is just $29.95. In it, you will find two of the more convincing ghost photographs, along with a lot more, that I've ever seen. To order our newsletter, and of course I'm only discussing this aspect of it this morning, it's uh, really very comprehensive, with a lot of inside stuff about this program and the network and talk radio in general. The number to call, 2995 uh, with your credit card, 1-800-917-4278. Tell them you want After Dark. Or you can send a check or money order to Chancellor Broadcasting, 744, that's 744, East Pine, P-I-N-E, Central Point, Oregon, 97502-97502. So if you want to do it that way, it's fine. You don't need to call. Just send a check or money order. That'll get you a full year. Uh, to Chancellor Broadcasting, 744 East Pine, as in Pine Tree, Central Point, Oregon, zip code 97502. On the wild card line, you're on the air. Good morning. Hi, this is David from Sacramento. Hi, David. And uh, this isn't a story. This is a, a true account, I swear to God. Well, that's fine. In 1976, I was on a National Outdoor Leadership Mountaineering School in the Wind River Range in Laramie, Wyoming. Yes, sir. And it's an ancient range, and Indians have lived there for thousands of years. After about 25 days on this trip uh, in these remote areas, me and my camp partner had just finished uh, dinner. We were, needed some water for our tea. It was really dark, and we set off for the river, and it was only about 30 feet away. We started down the small trail and could hear the babbling sounds coming from the, the river just a few feet away. Suddenly, it just grew pitch black, and the forest seemed to close in all around us. We could just make out vague shapes and dark apparitions, and the sounds of the water were replaced by a, like a whooshing sound. Mm -hmm. Everything seemed to spiral around us and like water going down a drain. <laughs> It, it scares me now just to think about it. All my energy seemed to drain away from my body, and I remember falling over forest branches, and everything seemed to have a, an oozy, formless, and kind of black quality. Boy, that is frightening. Yeah, we 
we were screaming for our lives and, and couldn't understand why no one else could hear us. Uh, the next thing I remember is uh, my knees were getting weak and I had this kind of sinking feeling. Yeah. I was about to collapse and then I felt a, a rough, rocky surface and I, my friend was inching uh, along with me uh, just a few feet behind me. Mm-hmm. And uh, suddenly I found a, a flat spot and I collapsed into it. I just sat there exhausted and told my friend to wait there until the morning. Uh, all night long I, I waited there and it, just staring into this utter blackness and uh, I was seeing like these electrical charges. They were a bluish white streak. Yes. And finally, just at the light of dawn, I could uh, I could see the from the the new sun uh, the river not more than 50 feet away. Wow. Yeah, we were on the other side of this river, and although our shoes weren't wet, um, how I, I could see these camps where our parties were. Yes. And I still don't know how uh, they didn't hear us screaming. But the strangest thing is that we were 25 feet off the ground on a cliff, and I was just sitting there in a in a in a cubby hole. It was shaped like a perfect chair with a back and a seat, and the armrests were there too. And um, we were experienced rock climbers, and we had difficulty getting down the sheer face. Later, I looked up, and you'd never see that chair unless you'd actually sat there before. We told our guide who was taking us on this trip, and he said that we were in a Shoshone Indian burial ground. Oh. And he experienced a Wind River turnaround. He said it's a real common experience of many people in that area. But for the rest of that trip, it lasted 35 days. The forest just seemed somehow darker and more sinister. And I noticed the trees were black and the scary mosses hanging down everywhere. It's what you were looking for. Well, it was something else. Thank you, my friend. That's Thank a good you. story. Take care. Burial grounds. Why? Why do spirits stay in the area where they left? or in the area of their physical bodies, or in homes, or connected to material objects? Why? These are questions we may not answer in this life. On the uh, toll-free line, you're on the air. Hi. Hey, how you doing? Just fine. Uh, I have a real quick story. All right, where are you? Omaha, Nebraska. Welcome to the program. Go ahead. Oh, thanks. Um, When I was about uh, 17 years old, I lived in uh, Louisiana with my mom and my stepdad and my sister. Yes. We lived out in the country. And I don't know if you've ever been to Louisiana on a hot July night when it's kind of foggy. It's kind of spooky anyway. It's a kind of a spooky state in a lot of ways, isn't it? Yeah, it is a real spooky state. Um, and this story, no one believes it. It, it. It doesn't matter if you believe it or not. It's just the truth. That's all right. <laughs> I um, drove out to the country one night and uh, drove out to our house. We had a long gravel road and our house was about 200 yards back from the main road we actually lived at the end of a cul-de-sac and we were the only house out there and i got home and i pulled into the driveway and we were all sitting around the living room my sister my mom and i and the dog started barking we had uh, two labrador retrievers and they were barking at the front door and i opened the front door thinking it might be a deer they were barking at or you know another wild dog or something of course and they ran straight like a rabbit across our yard and then across um, the cul-de-sac into the lot across from us. It was an all-wooded all area. And they were back in the woods for maybe 10, 20 seconds, and they started hightailing it back to the house. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm not that brave, but I'm brave enough to get a flashlight and walk around and see what's, you know, in the woods across the street from my house. Mm-hmm. As I walked across the yard, my sister and my mom 
they weren't going to go with me. The dogs followed me to the end of our yard and wouldn't go across the street with me. I walked across the street. I guess I'd been maybe five or ten feet into the woods across from our house when my sister just screamed, just bloody murder. And I turned to look at her, and when I did that, she said, just run, run back to the house. And I did. I ran as fast as I could. And when I got back to the house, I said, what was the deal? And she said, just turn around real slow and look out in those woods. And right where I had been, maybe five or ten feet from where I had been standing, there were these two red glowing eyes. Oh, my God. And I have never in my life, listen, I have never, it gives me the willies thinking about it now, I have never in my life felt more terror. We went in the house. We called the sheriff. The sheriff came out, rummaged around. There's nothing out there, absolutely nothing. But for the rest of the time, the rest of my life in the country, in that Louisiana town, at any given night, uh, unearthly screams and weird stuff in those woods. And as soon as I could, I moved out. The creepiest thing, I, I can't explain those eyes for this, the weirdest. I would, too. I'd be gone. Red eyes in the woods? Oh, no. Yeah, so I don't know if that's a ghost or not, but it was one of the creepiest things I've ever seen. Well, it definitely qualifies, sir, and uh, I take it nothing like it has ever happened to you since. Well, I've had other odd things happen in my life. Um, one of the, If I can tell you one more, this is very quick. Very quick. Again, in Louisiana, when I lived in New Orleans, I have a story I like to call the skeleton story. When I was a small child, I must have been four or five, I had the remembrance of waking up in my bed on two occasions and a blue pale light coming from outside my window. I open up, I just pull the curtain aside, and there's like two skeleton faces outside my window, and it scared the crap out of me. Then, on another occasion, I saw another blue light in my hallway, and the skeleton figure walked right down the hallway into my sister's room, and that's all I remember. <laughs> That'll do. I appreciate your call, sir. Thanks a lot. Thank you. I appreciate all of your calls. This has been a pleasure. You have just heard the 1994 edition of our annual Halloween show. I thank you. It's been a good week of talk radio. This program will repeat uh, Sunday night, Monday morning on Halloween. We will be here with um, a Dreamland on Sunday evening. And we will resume the syndicated program next week. Don't forget to get a copy of this program, and I can imagine you might want one. <laughs> or to get our new uh, newsletter with Visa or MasterCard, call 1-800-917-4278. 1-800-917-4278. Thank you all, those who sent faxes. I didn't get to all of them. I'm sorry. I've got a whole stack here. It's been a wonderful night of talk radio. We could use hours more, but don't have them. Take care. Good night. <laughs>